See, I, I just got the small things, like... All the small things. I can't remember what it was that made me think, oh yeah, it was definitely... Truth cur, truth brings... Oh yeah, Jonathan. Jonathan. That was a bit obvious, though, wasn't it? That was a bit obvious, yeah. So I want the obvious ones and not... Jordan Elliot. Yeah. <laughs> you don't get that. I didn't get the Watchmen thing in um, that Grant Morrison thing we did, so don't feel bad. I feel bad. A lot of people took great joy pointing that out to me. Yeah. Can't believe you didn't get that. <laughs> well, duh. Maybe I don't hold Watchmen up on the pedestal that everyone else holds it up on. Ooh, we're getting a bit too passive aggressive here. <laughs> Should we do a last ever show? Just one of them. Just one. Just yeah. one last one. Just one, one more time. This is it, isn't it? It is, yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> We don't want to do it, do we? No. We're procrastinating. Hey kids, comics. Who said that opposites attract? They probably think the world is flat. But you and I are opposites. And all we do is fight. We see from different points of view. You laugh at me, I laugh at you. And we both know too. Everybody. Hello, everyone. And welcome to the last ever, in its current configuration, of course, Hey Kids Comics. We'll come back younger and sexier and bisexual. What do you mean, younger and sexier and bisexual? I'm all those things now. Ah. Oh, none of those things. <laughs> so you're older. But still sexy. I am Captain Picard. A sexy Picard. I'm very sexy. I took it my jumper. Phew. I am Patrick Stewart. Mr. Worf, are you about to fire through the view screen? Number one. It's all down my Patrick Stewart impression just sounds like Grant Morrison but without the Scottish accent. <laughs> uh, yeah, welcome back to, uh, for the last time. Yeah. Uh, we don't know what to say, so we're just going to get on with it now. Hmm. We're just going to get on with the show. A couple of emails to start off with. It's probably going to be a bit longer than usual. Yeah. Because we have to interrupt it halfway through. <laughs> to go and do something else and then there's a couple of emails from people saying cheers dudes so we're going to sprinkle them throughout the show so okay. it's not a big maudlin love fest at the top of the show I do like love fests do you love unless, fest baby love fest yeah tin roof unless it's the kind of love fest where you walk in and it's just a bunch of fat guys having a circle jerk that's not a great love fest rusted no it's not no. it's not fun to tell it's not we don't want that we want this. We want comics. And we have comics here. Comics. That's comic. Yeah. Big hard power. We've got lots no. of comics of the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought Just I was... Uh, I don't buy the same thing. Well, let, let's go. I had the original issues of this, Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow, Superman 423, and Action Comics 583. And then I got the black and white British Titan reprint for you from the library. Okay. Excuse me. Right. For dirt cheap. Excuses. And then five are in Costco for the hardcover. Alright. Okay. Well, why well, does Costco have graphic novels? Never has graphic novels. It doesn't. So, yeah. I thought, because it is beautifully reproduced in this, isn't it? Mm. The recolouring job is gorgeous. And the oversized artwork's nice. So, so yes, I have this three times, despite having that staunch, I don't need something twice rule. Yeah. Unless it's got the word Star and Wars in the title. I just think that. <laughs> anyway, should we do some emails? 
Okey-doke. Ooh, top picks. Gabriel Jimenez emailed in. Again, there's some editing going on. Um, but it's the last one, and we've got a lot to fit in. I like the topic you've chosen for this episode, listing comics you like and talking about why they're significant for you. Not only gives us the opportunity of finding new comics, it also tells us a lot about you guys. Well, I hope we didn't give too much away. <laughs> you want to leave a little bit of an enigma, don't you? Of course, yeah. yeah. You know, be, be a bit um, enigmatic. Mm-hmm. That's what you want. Like a smoking French guy? Yeah. He's... Um, Marcel. Oh, yeah. Oh, the Americans. <laughs> the piggies. Don't the French think that about everyone? Yeah, he's Gabriel went on to talk about all the books in general, especially feeling your Terminator 2 pick was the biggest surprise. Ah, okay. So fair enough. Uh, our next email was Galactus Likes His Planet Spicy, which is from Chris Franklin. It wouldn't be an episode without an email from Chris Franklin. It would not. Hello, Leyland. Thank you for at least giving me an opening in Sean Connery speak. This makes me want to hear you talk about Highlander over at the palace, Andy. Well, don't tempt me. I'd be tempted to do some Highlander. It'd cost you a head. It'd cost it. No, it wouldn't! I'm not going to charge him head! No! That's just wrong! Ah, welcome to the Love Shack. <laughs> I'd never read the Green Lantern Superman book by Neil Gaiman, but it sounds like something an old DC fanboy like me might enjoy, even if Superman doesn't do anything. Superman was just a two-page strip in Action Comics Weekly, with Green Lantern as the star anchor of the book, so that may be why Gaiman skewed it towards Hal. DC had even cancelled Green Lantern after it morphed into Green Lantern Corps to make Hal the main attraction of their weekly experiment. I've always thought Superman got his two-page strip just out of tradition, back when DC cared about such things, and to give Kurt Swan something to do in his semi-retirement, but hey, Roger Stern wrote it, so why not? I did read the Galactus Darkseid blow-up back in my comic shop clerk days, and that was a fun one. Byrne clearly loves all things Kirby, and he's one of the few creators who seems to get it. I've had those outside-of-comics thoughts on the Silver Surfer before, but there's no denying the visual works. I think that's the genius of Kirby. At his best, he was able to tap into some raw power few others could, and pluck out concepts that would seem ludicrous in other hands. The Black Racer is pushing it a bit, for some reason... I think it's his old knight helmet with the skis myself. Yeah, that don't work, does it? Even as a design aesthetic, that knight's helmet with the skis. It's kind of cool. Do you think so? I kind of, yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, enough casting about. Looking forward to your final sub episodes. Well, this is it. It is. This is the final one. Chris crying on his keyboard. Speaking of final episodes, we had a number of emails. Mm-hmm. Just generally wishing us well, and we'll, we'll sprinkle them through the show, like I said. Some of this will be self-indulgent. But it's the last show. If not now, when? If not here, then were. Yeah. Profound words. Can't be self-indulgent on the street. That's true. Wise words. Get arrested for that. First one we received was from David Gutierrez. Leyland's. Wow. So here we are. The end. David talks about legacy heroes, but we're bored about all that. So we skipped (laughs) all of that. Let me first thank you for the hours of listening enjoyment you have given the world. Well, I don't know if the world really appreciated it, to be honest with you. <laughs> that makes us sound like outlaws. We are, man. We were, we were outlaws. against the world who doesn't appreciate We were totally outlaw podcasters, creating our own art. We were the Banksy of podcasting. The Chapman brothers. Yeah, yeah, we were just tossing it out there and it landed where it may. I do love this building up your own legend. I know, yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant, isn't we're, it? We're going to go out, like, riding some pale horses. Just, yeah. They'll speak about it's us. It's time for Butch and Sundance. Yeah. That's what it is. Years come, they'll speak about us. <laughs> hushed tones. The lonely two true freaks. <laughs> wow. 
wandering the plains reading comics. <laughs> it doesn't make us sound that cool. It doesn't make us sound cool at all, especially when we realise we were two Northern Chancers sat in a dining room talking to a hinky Olympus digital recorder, sipping a nice cup of tea. Yeah. So you think you can draw those comics faster than me, boy? I reckon so, mate. <laughs> hey, I want you to apologise to the mule. <laughs> hey, no, why are you laughing? It's got this crazy notion you're laughing at it. Hey, hey, hey chap, what's a mule? <laughs> I don't know, I think it's like a funny horse. <laughs> oh, yeah, the world was ready for us. <laughs> David continues, I came late to the Leyland festivities, but over the past two plus years, I've loved listening to Andrew and Michael explore comics. But more importantly, I've come to value you both as sort of extended family. I've been lucky enough to hear a young man making his way into adulthood and hear a man give away a bit to his junior self when showing his genuine enthusiasm. As a relatively new father to young James T, you read that right, I can only hope that my son and I share a love of something that Andy and Michael do. I owe you guys a personal debt. Work's been unstable these last three years and yours was one of the few things I could depend on and look forward to hearing. Nothing chases the blues away like the Leyland laugh. So thank you for letting us into your home, for letting us meet the adorable Anya, the elusive Adam and the amazing Angela, and for Hey Kids Comics. You've got a fan and a friend for life. All the best, David M. Gutierrez. Well, we don't have fans. I'm just going to throw that out for the last time. We're just all friends. We are. We're all buddies. We are. Chums. (laughs) It's like cheers. Old pals. Yeah. (laughs) Buddy, old pal. It's like cheers where everybody knows your name, dude. Okay. That's what it is. Uh, Tom Panneries, host of Pop Culture Affidavit and In Country, emailed in. Tom said, so long, farewell, avidazane, good night. Could that? Yeah. Hello Leylands, I was just listening to the episode of my so-called anti-life and wanted to write in, especially since this is going to be one of my last chances to do so. The title of the episode made me chuckle when I saw it on iTunes, I'm probably the only member of the Two True Freaks family who would dare to devote nearly four entire hours of podcast time to the seminal 1990s teen angst television series, Dawson's Creek. No, my so-called <laughs> life. <laughs> Dawson's Creek wasn't the 90s, was it? Was it wasn't not? Dawson's Creek noughties. I think, yeah. If Buffy started in 1990, so maybe just Dawson's Creek start the year after Buffy. So that'll be 98. So, oh, Burley. So my so-called life was just ahead of its time. Yeah. And now Claude Ends shoots terrorists. And now Jared Leto's everywhere. And now Jared Leto's the Joker, dude. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought that when you were watching My So-Called Life, would you? <laughs> Tom mentions the two team-up issues that we covered and then goes on to say, with all that out of the way, I want to take a moment to say thank you for such a great run of a great podcast. A podcast so great, you made me quote a Julie Andrews musical number in the subject line of the email. I wasn't on the ground floor with Hey Kids Comics. In fact, I think my first episode was the beginning of your Nightfall coverage, which I took a listen to after I heard Michael Bailey recommend your show on one of his shows. It was probably abused from the long box. You know that Nightfall stuff brought an awful lot of people in. Damn fun, yeah. You know, if we could have covered something like Nightfall every single week, we would now have the biggest listenership we would, on the yeah. internet. But sadly, Nightfall only lasted a finite amount of time. Maybe, Unlike the Clone Saga. Maybe that was for the best. Yeah, probably. And all our other shows. They, they came for the Nightfall, but they stayed for the quality entertainment. They came for the Nightfall, but they stayed for us talking about Danger Girl. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> and other obscurities like what Ed Brubaker's Velvet and... Issues of Walt Simonson's Battlestar Galactica. It's that kind of selection that keep kept them on the toes. Well, you've got to throw some sugar in, baby. You Every can. now and again, if you want to, if you want to get them to look at something different and weird, you've got to throw a bit of Batman in there. Yeah, yeah. and we certainly <laughs> threw a bit of Batman in there. <laughs> 
continue. Since then, I've me- never, 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 never missed an episode. Even if there have been entire months where I didn't get around to listening to the show and then loaded all four onto my iPod and binged listened over the course of a weekend. If you're thinking that's a lot of you guys to listen to, it's not. I don't know, I don't think I could do it. Mm. I have to. No, you don't. When have you ever listened to this drivel? I have to listen to you all the time. I'm your father and you show me some damn respect, <laughs> dude. Spit my heart out. Excuse you guys, I'm going home. <laughs> day before you leave. That's when I finally demand some reason. Like, that boat sailed, Father. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what does Tom say? Oh, yeah, okay. If you, uh, yeah. you guys pick great books. You've keen insight and a great critical eye. One of the most infectious senses of humour out there. And the most ridiculous Sean Connery impressions on the internet. I don't know what you mean, Mr. Panneries. You're acting a perfectly uh, uh, respectable. <laughs> that's a Smith and Wesson. And you've had your sex. And <laughs> uh, shot him in the head. Because that's the kind of callous bastard I am. Mm. Listening to the show over the last few years has been an amazing and memorable experience. And I will truly miss it. Andy, I'll keep listening to, writing into, and ripping off ideas from Palace of Glittering Delights, which is my other show on 2TrueFreaks.com. Go and check it out. Michael, good luck with school. My knowledge of education in your country is limited to what I've seen on television and movies. So I assume there will be a lot of ceremonial robes, powdered wigs, magic wands, and establishing shots of Big Ben, which I'm sure you'll handle just fine. Yeah, that's right, you're going to Hogwarts, aren't you? I am, yeah. <laughs> We're learning about all the crappy magic you know, like killing rabbits out of your heart and not like they make it in the movies. You're learning to be Paul Daniels. Yeah, yeah. He's Debbie McGee. It's, it, the, honestly, Hogwarts isn't what they made it out to be in the movies. No, no, it isn't. It's not. It's the so sorting hat's a baseball cap for a start. Yeah. Oh, no, it'd be a Yorkshire flat cap, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Or oh, one of them top hats. Well, because you're doing a magician, so you'd smack it and it'd extend exactly exact amount so once again thank you and in the words of Megaforce's ace hunter deeds not words I'd like to say goodbye and remind you that the good guys always win even in the 80s all the best Tom I don't know about the good guys winning we didn't get any money from this so we don't consider that a win do we <laughs> uh, host of Superman Forever Radio Bob Fisher emailed in to say all good things. Hello, Michael and Andrew. Must all good things come to an end? In the case of Hey Kids Comics, I guess the answer is yes. The time has actually come when there will only be the occasional special from time to time. I look forward to those special specials, which will no doubt bring back memories of the many hours doing boring, mundane activities made so much more tolerable with the voices of Andrew and Michael Paul Leyland in my ears talking about comics I love and comics I've never read. Who would have thought that the banter of two blokes from Northern England talking funny books would have ever been so much fun? And yet every Thursday there it was, at the top of my listening stack. Every week I must listen. Whether you guys were talking about something I loved, such as your coverage of Superman, or comics I'd never even thought of reading, like Preacher or Swamp Thing, there it was, at the top, making my day a little brighter and funnier. And yeah, he, almost, he did meatloaf though. And for that, you know I thank you. Do, 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 do. Sorry. I could go sit into a meatloaf musical (laughs) and that. I could go on and on, but I really don't want to get too mushy or sentimental. Oh, I wouldn't worry about that, Bob. We won't let you. I just wanted you to know how much your show meant to me and how much I appreciate your work. Putting out a weekly podcast is a lot of work. And you two made it seem easy and fun. Uh, I made it seem easy. You made it seem fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I spent many a countless nights doing work. <laughs> you spent many a last ten minutes before we were scheduled to record quickly reading the comics. That Flashpoint episode I did. <laughs> a lot of research into that. Genius. Best yeah. we did. Actually, a lot of yours were the best we did. 
Maybe not the Metal Gear Solid ones. Oh, they're all the best. <laughs> it's like picking your children. Can't pick a favourite. You don't have to. I know. Do you? <laughs> I'm pretty sure as a father you, Andy, know how special it has been to have this time with your son. And I'm pretty sure, Michael, that in time you will look back and treasure this time as well. The two of you have created something very special. Oh, he's talking about me and your mum, though. And I, for one, am glad you let us in on it. Thank you for a great listen. Be well. I, I just took a sip. Have fortune in all future endeavours. Bob Fisher, Superman Forever Radio. <laughs> I did that just as Michael took a drink. It came out of his ears. <laughs> uh, thank you, Bob. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, David. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Gabrielle. Gabriel. I always mix that up. Uh, there are more emails to come from some of the best and the brightest in the podcasting verse for We Are Mighty. Is it like one of those American TV specials from the last one? They have like an hour long documentary. The Miami Dolphins! Interview beforehand. Yes. We should have done that, should we? We should have. Your mum should have done an hour long interview documentary thing. <laughs> interviewing us. And we could have pretended that we were like. We could have done it like Garth Marenghi. We could have yeah. played really egotistical a- assholes. Of course, that was during the cocaine years. <laughs> uh. Of course, every single idea on the show that was good was mine. <laughs> Every idea that didn't work and fell flat was Michael's. I tolerated his ideas. Sometimes I even let them in the show. But let's be honest, he was only a comedy sidekick. No one really paid attention to him. Didn't Paul and John say something like that? <laughs> so we're now Paul McCartney and John Lennon. <laughs> More like Mark and Lard. <laughs> um, anyway, we'll be back in a moment as we discuss whatever happened... To all, no, that's a different song, isn't it? Whatever happened to the man of tomorrow? Whatever happened to all the heroes? Robert De Niro, <laughs> the man of tomorrow's. Back in a minute. episode. Well, if you're us, you bring it full circle. 
five years and 250 episodes ago, I and my then 15-year-old son started an internet radio show. In that episode, we talked about some new beginnings for the Man of Steel and the then relatively recent reimagining of his earliest adventures, Secret Origin. It's probably the shortest-lived revamp of Superman ever, largely because it wasn't very good. Superman has no shortage of beginnings, though, and over the years we've covered a fair few of them. Largely, I think, because for creators, beginnings are easier than endings. But all things end. Even Superman. To craft this tale of Superman's ending was none other than the North's own Alan Moore, a writer of some renown in comic circles. How did this come to be? Well, as DC Comics approached its own end, of sorts, the crisis on infinite Earths, editor Julius Schwartz was tasked with tying up the various loose ends 48 years of continuous storylines can leave. His approach was to produce an issue as if it were the end of Superman as if this was, in fact, the last ever issue of a comic book series that had been running since 1938. Now, of course, Superman is a legend, and legends never die, and there would, in fact, be another issue of Superman on sale the very next month. But this version of Superman, the version that had been in continuous publication since before World War II, was ending. Schwartz, therefore, cast his net to reel in a big fish who could write the damned thing. He pulled in Jerry Siegel. After all, Siegel, along with artist Joe Schuster, had created Superman all those years ago, so it only seemed fitting to allow the man who had brought the Man of Tomorrow to life to participate in his end, even if it was for only one month. Sadly, Jerry would be embroiled in legal difficulties and would be unable to participate. This left Schwartz in a bit of a pickle. With the deadline fast approaching, Schwartz told his troubles to the aforementioned Alan Moore, who, in a possibly apocryphal story, allegedly rose out of his seat and throttled Schwartz, telling him, I can't do Alan Moore's accent, so I'm not even going to try. If you let anyone else write this story, I'll kill you! Ignoring that this story doesn't paint Moore in a particularly good light, it's pretty hard to imagine the modern-day misanthrope Moore has turned into wanting to write a Superman tale. It's even harder to imagine him saying, I feel sentimental towards Superman, as he is quoted as having said in Titan Books' collection of his Superman stories entitled The Man of Tomorrow. Regardless of how Moore feels now, whatever happened to The Man of Tomorrow was published in Superman issue 423 and Action Comics issue 583, both cover dated September 1986. Joining Moore on the strip would be Kurt Swan as the penciler. Swan had worked on Superman for years at this point, and was considered by many the Superman artist of the 60s and 70s. In addition to being the last Superman story, this would be Swan's goodbye to the character he had become synonymous with. Inks would be provided by George Perez, who'd always wanted to work with Swan on the Superman portion of the strip, and longtime contributor to the Superman Comics universe, Kurt Schaffenberger, for the Action Comics portion. Despite their long association with the characters individually, Swan and Schaffenberger had never worked together. We have three different versions of this story, as we mentioned at the top of the show. The original issues have a very interesting text page in both comic books, Superman and Action Comics, where they highlight the important issues of both series over the years by E. Nelson Bridwell. The cover to Superman issue 423 by the classic Superman art team of Swan and Murphy Anderson is a homage to the old annuals of the 50s and 60s. Superman is the central column figure, surrounded by scenes from the story you are about to read, kind of like the credits to Space 1999 or Battlestar Galactica. Bum, 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 bum. 
That's the Battlestar Galactica version, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas Space 1990... So it depends what you prefer, funky 70s guitar mm. or post-2000 drum machine. Mm. I'll let you pick, lovely listener. <laughs> In this historic last issue, a very special story by Alan Moore, Kurt Swan and George Perez. See the rampage of Bizarro. Experience the return of the fearsome funsters. That makes it sound like it's going to be a right laugh, doesn't it? It does. Witness the killing of Clark Kent. And then it goes a bit... <laughs> and then it goes a bit off. <laughs> Meet the new Brainiac Luther team. Survive the Daily Planet's last stand. Attend the Legion of Superheroes' last salute. Whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow. Uh, we're going to cover the adverts now, just for the crack. Basically. You literally do not have to read this issue, you just have to look at the cover. Yeah, well, the cover gives away the major beats, but it doesn't actually immerse you in the, the story, does mm. it? I mean, it's, it's a homage. Uh, adverts in this one, there's an advert for The Man of Steel by John Byrne and Jit Giordano coming in two weeks. So the last Superman story is coming out, and in two weeks there's a new Superman, and that's it for interesting ads. Yeah. Absolutely no interest in adverts whatsoever. Uh, it's a brilliant cover, though. Nice nods to the past in a story that wallows in nostalgia. Yeah. Do you like it? Yeah. It gets recoloured in the hardcover, as does, does everything. Looks a bit better in the hardcover, but as a cover to the issue of itself, it's, it's quite good. Uh, the cover to Action Comics has Superman fly away from the Daily Planet as his friends and colleagues wave goodbye. These include editor Schwartz and other DC personnel such as Jeanette Kahn, Paul Cooperberg and Kurt Swan. On the cover to the 2009 hardcover, Brian Bolland has recreated this cover, but omitted a number of characters including all the DC personnel, except Schwartz. Right. Right, now, I got from the introduction to the hardcover that this was Paul Cooperberg, Jeanette Kahn, and Kurt Swan. However, Mm. he refers to himself as the guy in the glasses. The guy in the glasses is Julius Schwartz. Right. I always thought that that was Dick Giordano, Kurt Swan, and Jeanette Kahn, which would make more sense. Or Paul Levitz, Kurt Swan, and Jeanette Kahn. Right. But if, if you know, if uh, if Cooperberg wants to, to take credit for being on the cover, what's his, is it Cooperberg? Let me just have a look. Is it Paul Cooperberg? Yeah, Paul Cooperberg. If he wants to take credit for being on the cover, then who am I to say he's not? Because mm-hmm. uh, I have no proof that it's otherwise. I'm only going off, off what it says in the introduction. Um, which cover do you prefer, the Brian Bolland remake or the Kurt Swan original? I like the original. I do. But Bolland's, Bolland's arms are wrong. Yeah. Look at it. Yeah. Kurt Swan's anatomy is better than Brian Bolland. Mm. Brian Bolland's arms don't look right, and the head's at a weird angle. And it's it's just not as good. And there's the city on the original. Yeah, there's a background on the original that Brian Bolland's just not bothered doing. He's like the colourist, put some clouds there. Yeah. So, yeah, the Kurt Swan original is better. Sorry, Brian, if you're listening. For his last show, what are you going to do? <laughs> Uh, the other version that we have of this is a black and white UK reprint from Titan Books that I picked up for Michael when he was... You were... Ooh. How old are you? I don't know. It was when I was working at a certain high school and I only worked there nine months and I started working there the month after we had your, da- uh, your daughter. <laughs> the month after we had Anya. Right, okay. So how old were you when we had Anya? Seven. Six, seven. So I got you this when you were seven. Right. So I got this from the, the library because they were just getting rid of it so they let me have it, which is why it's knackered. Mm. and not in very good condition but uh, like the hardcover it's got all the most Superman stories this two-parter annual number 11 and DC Comics presents issue 85 but the cover 
has one of the most recognisable silhouettes in pop culture. Superman stands, hands on hips, cape blowing in the breeze, uh, and the title's just a circle around. And what's cool about the cover is the only colour, which is an embossed gold S-shield. I love that. Mm. That's a pretty cool cover, isn't it? You read that till it fell to bits. Uh, evidently, yeah. Evidently, yes. I school that you worked for nine months just after we had Anya. Yeah. We didn't have Anya till you were at Preston. No, we didn't. So all of that bit is wrong. <laughs> and that was the last ever contribution from Angela. And she just popped up as the voice of God to point out that I've screwed up. <laughs> Situation normal then. <laughs> oh, I love you. You're welcome. <laughs> Alright, so it can't have been then. Yeah. I got that from the library at Birchwood. You can't have been very, very old at all. Right. I'm trying to think. You must have only been three. <laughs> Bit of a difference. Yeah. It must have been about two or three because we didn't have Adam until you worked at Wesley. I got nothing! <laughs> <laughs> Alright, okay, well now that my memory has been proven to be incredibly faulty... Only just... <laughs> You couldn't script this. <laughs> Should we go into the story? Yeah. Okay. Now that I have been deflated ego-wise by my lovely wife. This is an imaginary story, which may never happen, but then again, may. About a perfect man who came from the sky and did only good. It tells of his twilight, when the great battles were over, and the great miracles long since performed, of how his enemies conspired against him, and how of that final war in the snow-blind waste beneath the northern lights, of the women he loved, and of the choice he made between them, of how he broke his most sacred oath, and how finally all the things he had were taken from him, save for one. It ends with a wink. It begins in a quiet Midwestern town, one summer afternoon in the quiet Midwestern future. Away in the big city, people still sometimes glance up, hopefully from the sidewalks, glimpsing a distant speck in the sky. But no, it's only a bird, only a plane. Superman died ten years ago. This is an imaginary story. But aren't they all? Whatever happened to the man of tomorrow? Alan Moore, writer, Kurt Swan and George Perez, artists, Todd Klein, letterer, Jean D'Angelo, colorist, Julius Schwartz, editor. August 16th, 1997. Ten years after the death of Superman, Tim Crane arrives at the house of Lois Elliott to interview her about those dark final days. After coffee, Lois tells Tim that Superman had been having a quiet time of it and was essentially reduced to performing deep space research missions for the government. Upon arrival home from one such mission, Superman discovered Bizarro, yes, harmless dopey old me and Bizarro, had gone on a murderous rampage. Taking his opposite lifestyle a tad too far, Bizarro blew up his home planet when he was an adult, as opposed to Superman's story, killed lots of people because Superman never kills, and then, taking it to its totally logical conclusion, Bizarro decided that because Superman am alive, Bizarro have to be am dead. Superman seemed a tad nonplussed by these events and returned to his life as Clark Kent. At the WGBS News studio, Clark takes delivery of two packages, a small one and a large one. Not thinking to check them with his X-ray vision first, Clark opens the first box. It's an adorable collection of Superman dolls! 
They're not carded, though, so their value is reduced. The fact that they have working heat vision and really fly would also seem to impact on their suitability for kids. After carving up the newsroom, the dolls attack Clark. Lana and co. think Clark has been carved up like a Sunday roast, but no, all this does is reveal that Clark Kent is Superman. Everybody seems more concerned with the other package, and Lana, having seen Seven, asks, What's in the box? Superman opens the larger box, and Pete Rossi's dead body falls to the floor. See, Pete knew Clark was Superman, and this knowledge was tortured out of him by that most nefarious of Superman adversaries, the prankster and the toy man? The prankster and the toy man laugh and laugh at the cunning lark, taunting Superman over the radio in the box. But as Superman knows what radio waves look like, he tracks the duo to the lure. As with Bizarro, there is no rhyme or reason for the murderous transformation. Superman vows Clark Kent no more, and he gives up the secret identity. At Pete's funeral, Superman ponders the future. If the nuisances have turned killer, what will happen when the killers come back? Cut to Lex Luthor. Lex has used his little black box to head north and has tracked down Brainiac's head. Superman couldn't find it, despite the fact that it seems like it's only covered in a fine layer of snow, but Luthor, he's got no problems. Anyway, it doesn't go too well for Luthor as it is. Brainiac latches onto Lex, taps into his brain, and now has full control of Luthor's body and mind. He orders Lex to don Brainiac's faceplate, and the new Luthor Brainiac team is born. They stomp off through the snow to make mischief. Back in Metropolis, a horde of Metallos attack the Daily Planet building and chuck Lois out of a window. Superman saves Lois and uses the iron rod that holds up the planet globe as a giant magnet, which picks up all of the Metallos. After flying them to the St. Teresa prison complex, Superman decides that his friends are all exposed and takes them to his Fortress of Solitude. Crypto, perhaps sensing his master's distress, also returns from deep space. In Metropolis, all those other people that Superman apparently doesn't give a toss about are threatened by the Kryptonite Man. However, Luther Ack decides that he may be of some use to them, and they grab the Kryptonite Man and zoom off in Brainiac's big giant head spaceship thing. In the fortress, Superman apparently has a ton of bedrooms for guests to stay over, like that ice palace place in Sweden. Hope they see the Northern Lights. After they all go to bed, Superman mopes about a bit and is visited by the Legion, who give him a statue of himself holding a lamp. He doesn't wonder why, such a pointless gift. Rather, he's more choked up that they brought Supergirl with them. He tells Brainiac 5 that this was a really stupid thing to do, but then realises the Legion are here to pay their last respects. After they leave, Superman sits in the trophy room, weeping. And that's the end of part one. Yeah. Quite, quite, um... Quite lengthy, this, isn't it? Yeah. Because it's an Alan Moore story. Uh, the splash page is lovely. I never liked Kurt Swan as a kid, but he grew on me. And I think this is probably one of the issues that helped with the re-evaluation. George Perez's inks gives the art a modern, sleek feel, but he doesn't overwhelm Swan's pencils. And everybody in that splash page looks fantastic, don't they? Mm. The body language and just the way they're carrying themselves. They look like real people going about their business. In this case, just walking through Metropolis Central Park past the memorial statue of Superman. The jogger running past, he's got exquisite body language because he's he's not striding purposefully. Yeah. He's clearly finding this hard work and he's a bit... Uh, 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 bit knackered, trying to maintain his pace. Oddly, he's not listening to a Walkman. They had Walkmans in 1987, didn't they? Uh, of course they did, yeah. yeah they would have had Walkman, so that's maybe why he's, he's not got anything to keep a rhythm to. When was the first Walkman? Like, 74? 
Was it? Was it? It may have been the seventies. It was all manufactured, but it was the eighties before it started becoming the item to own. Um, the, there's the mum with the pram and the toddler and the kid in the pram. That's good because mm. that really does look like she's been nagged a lot by the kid. Can I have an ice cream, mum? Can I have? A, can we go to Krusty World? Can we go to Krusty World? And uh, she's like, no, we're not going to Krusty World. And the two, the couple on the steps are really cool. They're clearly in the middle of a conversation about their relationship. Because mm. look at her body language and his body language. Yeah. She's just like that, and he's got his hand on her shoulder. So there's either a bereavement in the family or something's just happened, but you get so much from just looking at those characters. Yeah. Swan was a brilliant artist. Mm. I've done a complete... I've had a complete change of opinion on Kurt Swan. And um, above them all, Superman, aloof and alone, protector but always apart. As the statue. Is this where the iconic Superman statue thing comes from? No, they had them in the Silver Age, didn't they? Right, okay. I'm sure they had. Because this cover here, is this not making the cover image of the 50s and 60s where they had that central pillar image on a lot of the annual covers and, and giving it like a context in a story? Is that not what he's done, though? It could be. But it's... I, I don't remember him having a memorial statue in the stories. Right, because now we have... You know, the Superman statues in loads of media. Yeah, and the, it was erected in the comics after the death of Superman, because it's the right. one with him having the eagle on his forearm, isn't it? Yeah. So that that became a reality in the comics after he died. Right. But I don't know if this is the first time that this has been given an in-story context, mm. rather than just being on the cover. What do you think of the splash patch? Yeah, it's, it's good. It's great, isn't I, it? I really think that there's more Perez than Swan. It's a good point. I, I don't think Perez overwhelms Swan's artwork, but in looking at it, you're definitely seeing George Perez. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. if I... It looks like Kurt Swan, but if I was told that it was just George Perez, I'd have believed you. Yeah. But I think they're a great combination. I really do. I think they do an excellent job here. Perez seems to be going out of his way to honour the pencils rather than overwhelm them. Mm. But uh, I, I love it. I think the, the art in this, this first issue is, is absolutely fantastic. Um, ten years in the future. It's always nice seeing the future as it was depicted in the past. Yeah, future fashions. When you are now past that future. Yeah. So if this is, what, 1997? Mm. We're now well beyond 1997. I want to know where my doom has gone <laughs> to cook, cook my coffee. Yeah. And everything seems to be based around plexiglass and domes, doesn't it? Mm. It's like, we, we live in a living room com, kitchen combo. There's no gap there between the kitchen and the living room. Yeah. So she can just wander over and, and get the coffee machine. And the internet computer stuff all seems to be a bit bigger than we actually have. But it's a curious design choice. And baby sleeping plastic lunch boxes. <laughs> Which again, yeah. I was a bit confused by. Do you think they invented them so cats didn't sleep on babies' faces? There could be that, but is it not more of an incubator? It could be. But why would you put a baby in an incubator? To keep it warm. <laughs> okay, alright. I do like, though, that despite all this futuristic advancement, and Lois's natty little pantsuit with big puffy shoulders, yeah. that his tape recorder is still one of those big 70s clunky things. <laughs> oh, that was quite cool. No one foresaw miniaturisation, did they? No. Absolutely no one Everything seemed coming. to get bigger. Yeah. No one saw that things would actually shrink. Yeah. That's really cool about science fiction future they think everything was going to be our computers were going to cover entire rooms <laughs> instead of just being this little box in the corner and now just iPads and stuff 
That's brilliant, isn't it? If you'd probably shown people that future, they'd probably just mocked you and said it's not realistic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Lois is now Lois Elliot. One of the things that, that John Byrne would successfully do with Lois is update her, because Swan still draws her like she's in the 50s, doesn't he? I guess, yeah. She's alright, though, isn't she? Yeah. She's pretty enough. Clearly, if this is ten years later, then she's clearly knocking on the door of 40 now. Because mm. so must, must Jordan be... Yes. Why did they wait so long to have a baby then? They waited ten years to have a baby. I don't know. I don't suppose we're spoiling it. Maybe the they had to get a bit settled down with the mortgage and stuff. Maybe and maybe they had to explain where Jordan Elliott came from. You're like social security number, birth. I'm, I'm sure Batman would have helped her. You reckon? Oh yeah. But that implies that Batman will know that he's still alive then. And if you can't trust Batman with that secret, then who can you trust? That's a good point. Yeah. Okay, alright, I'll go with that. Bruce Wayne helped him out with all the social security stuff. It's a good no prize. Mm. I like it very that, much. You know, the, where, where did they get it for that? Maybe in the ten years they had to buy themselves a house and get a job and... And settle. Yeah. Yeah, alright. Maybe they just wanted ten years of having fun. There is. Yeah, <laughs> saving the world all his life and now yeah. he wants to sleep. Now he wants to, maybe they travelled the world for a bit and as yeah. normal people and then settled down and then got married and then had the kid. Mm-hmm. Alright, fair enough. They had eight years of courting <laughs> before they settled down and got married. I can go with that, that seems alright. Uh, Lois tells Tim, uh, well she sets up a couple of things here, doesn't she? That uh, the Parasite and Terror Man are nowhere to be seen. Yeah. Which is a shame because I love the Parasite. <laughs> Terror Man, not so much. Mm-hmm. But Parasite I actually love. I think he's a really great villain because he's a villain Superman has to take down without getting near. Yeah. That's what makes him cool. But so they just got rid of him completely, just so they destroyed each other in a lethal clash of egos. So they don't actually explain what happened. But alright. Uh, she then mentions that Brainiac was pounded into pieces two years ago, and Superman's recovered all of the pieces except the head. Yes. Foreshadowing. Which Luther locates hmm. later on in the story. Now, okay, I don't mind that. That that sets up that the head's missing. Yeah. And that kicks the plot into high gear. But it doesn't seem that Brainiac's head, when we actually get there later on, would be particularly hard for Superman to find. Especially when you can fly at super speed and can have ease scanny vision. Well, the, see, the thing about that is, it's implied that he has a rough idea of where it ended up if he's found the other pieces. Yeah. So it's in the Arctic, so it's not far from his Fortress of Solitude. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it's buried that deeply. Lex doesn't seem to need the pickaxe that and he's brought with him. there's quite an obvious lump, though, where it is. Yeah, it's, so it's it's not been buried that badly. Even if Superman was too busy, you know, going off into outer space and picking up rocks for the government or whatever, yeah. surely he could have had a couple of his Superman robots looking around for it. Yeah. You know, so th- that bit struck me as a bit odd, that Superman has just never found the time to find Sprainiac's head. Hmm. And even with that, it doesn't seem like it's particularly hidden from him. Surely he could have taken five minutes out of his busy schedule to do that. Especially since he's not Clark Kent anymore. Yeah. So, okay. Um, absolutely beautiful panel, art-wise, when Superman is brought into the story to react to the carnage wrought by Bizarro. That's a gorgeous panel. Hmm. I do wonder how much of that is Perez. Yeah. Like the, the level of detail in the background. That shot of his eyes is definitely Perez. Yeah. I think that's a gorgeous panel. That's I think that's my favourite page in the book. Right. It does set up, though, something that follows through the entire story for me. Superman's off somehow. Right, okay. Do you not think? In this page, right, he goes through this entire issue, essentially, being very reactive 
are nonplussed at what's happening. And at no point does he take the initiative. At no point does he actually do something yeah, to be proactive. late for something. Yeah. Or he's always a bit, oh, wow. He's a bit Keanu Reeves, isn't he? He's a bit, oh. Right, okay. It's like everything's happening to him. Yeah. And at no point does he take control and do anything about it. I mean, sure, he gathers all his friends, he takes them to the fortress, and the rest of the world can just bugger off, can it? He's not bothered about the rest of the world. Because once he's got them in the fortress, there's nothing stopping him then going back. Yeah. And making sure that Metropolis doesn't get trashed by any number of evil nasties. Mm. But he doesn't do that, does he? Just hangs around the metropolis, uh, the fortress. And even here, Lois tells him Bizarro did this. And he just goes, Bizarro? Huh. And it's like, look at what he's done. I guess you would be, though, if you saw all that and got told it was Bizarro, you would be a You'd bit... You'd be a little bit, Bizarro did this? Yeah. Uh, Alright, I could buy it at this stage if he'd had, a, like, an emotional arc where he eventually snaps out of it. Yeah. He never does. No, it is just things happening to him. Yeah, and he doesn't do anything about it at any point. He never becomes the hero that this story demands. He lets yeah. everything happen to him. And spoilers, we're going to ruin part two as well. But even at the end of part two, it's Lois Who that tells points him what out do, yeah. What, what, what... Yeah, exactly. It's Lois that tells him what he's got to do. Yeah. At no point does Superman figure it out himself. Mm. And ultimately, I think, I don't want to spoil what we think of it, but ultimately that's why I don't get behind this as a perfect end last Superman story. Right, okay. Superman just lets other things happen to him. Is it not setting him up as this to be his downfall? You kind of have to dumb him down a bit. You think? Yeah, like, you know the thing where if you want to stress how powerful someone is, you haven't beat on Superman? Yeah, in the Justice League character. Is that not kind of what it is? I think it could be, but at some point you would have thought that the editor would have actually said, so when's Superman going to do something? Yeah, I suppose. Or oh, do you think Alan Moore at this point was at the point where editors weren't telling him what to do? Probably. Although Watchmen hadn't finished when this came out, so he, he wasn't really Alan Moore at that point. Yeah. He was still just Alan Moore. And Superman doesn't even... Jimmy Olsen does more than Superman. Yeah, Lana Lang yeah. does more than Superman. Lana Lang is more proactive than Superman is. Yes. In this story. Yeah. See what I mean? I think that sums everything up, really. <laughs> That's the problems with it. Lana <laughs> Lang is more proactive than Superman. Yeah. Alright, fair enough. I just I wondered whether it was just me that thought that. Because I know there is mixed opinion on this story amongst the Superman glitterati. Right. For everybody who thinks it's the best Superman story ever and it should always be on top ten Superman stories and all that stuff, mm. there are a number of hardcore Superman fans that don't think very much of this. Right. So I was interested in covering it, one, because it's the last one, so it seemed fitting thematically, mm. but also, well, what did we think of it at this point? Yeah. Because I always quite liked this story. Mm. But I'd never really sat down and p p took it apart. And I'd never read any tedious noodling analysis of it, of which there must be some, because it's Alan oh, yeah. Moore. So I never really got into that. The only, the closest I got is Neil Gaiman's introduction in the black and white British reprint. Right. Where he does actually say it's not as dark or grim as most of his other work. But it's still pretty dark and grim. Well, I like it. Because it's dark and grim. But the biggest problem I have with it is that it was definitely Alan Moore writing it. You can tell. There's loads of Alan Mooreisms in here that kind of make it a good story, but drag it down as well. At the same time. Bizarro here. Yeah. I found this to be one of the most interesting bits. It makes sense, because he's the 
opposite. It makes sense in a bizarre kind of way. Yeah, it, yeah. it, it makes sense for him to blow up his planet and then kill himself. Yeah, if you're going to take Bizarro's shtick to its logical conclusion. Yeah, but ultimately, in a Superman story, only Alan Moore would actually have Bizarro kill his planet and then kill himself. And he'd only really get away with this in the last Superman it's story. It's good, and it's interesting, and it fits into the whole ending thing. Yeah. But ultimately, that's a very Alan Moore thing for him to do, and that drags it down. Well, I think it fits into what my overall thoughts of it were at the end. There's two ways of looking at it. It's mm. as a Superman story, and as the last Superman story. Yeah. And I think we'll get into that as, as we go along. Um, the scene where the dolls arrive at the WGBS building. Uh, I think this is, is Exhibit A, Malud, Yeah. of Superman not doing anything. The pranks from the toy man do say that the bigger box is lead-lined, fair enough, but at no point does Clark think to check out the Amazon packet that he gets the Superman dolls in with his X-ray vision. Yeah, because even if he X-rayed them and saw toys, yeah, and it just doesn't tell us that in the issue, but then... Surely they're a bit obvious if the, the toys had laser powers. Well, if you were Clark Kent, somebody sent you two suspicious packages at work. Yeah. Wouldn't the first thing you do be X-ray vision them? Yeah. And if you can't see what's in one of them because they've lined if it with lead, lead lined, yeah. wouldn't that make your spider sense tingle? Yeah. Granted, you don't have spider sense because you're Superman, but... At that point, would you not say to Lana, oh, no, it's okay, we're on the air in four minutes, because Lana gives him an out. Yeah. Uh, I'll open them later. Mm. We should do the news broadcast. Or make his excuses and get the hell out of Dodge. Yeah. He doesn't do it, does he? He opens it, and he opens the parcel with, oh, uh, uh, well, I'm, I'm Clark Kent, uh, what is it? Now, you can get that that's his act, mm. being a bit dumb. But when the dolls start firing off real heat vision yeah. that hacks apart desks and then start flying around blowing up cameras and attacking people... He just stands there watching. Yeah, exactly. He just stands there letting it happen. Yeah. He doesn't make a single move to stop it. In fact, he seems really hesitant and useless. Oh, they're all moving. Ah, ah, ah. And that's it. Yeah. Because there's no implication these things are moving at super speed. They are toys. Yeah. And it's this scene, it's a great scene mm. in and of itself. But as a Superman scene. But as a Superman scene, you're sat there going, why the hell is he just stood there not doing anything? Yeah. I mean, I, I get there's nothing he could do for Pete Ross. Pete Ross is already dead. Mm. But he just stands there. Even when he's exposed as Clark Kent, what does he do? Yeah. He doesn't do it. He turns off his ripped clothes, and then he's like, all right, how, how did you know I was Clark Kent? He doesn't even seem upset. No, it's, it's just a very, well, this has happened. Yeah. This is my life now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get to be Clark anymore. Oh, well, never mind. Yeah. Don't matter, does it, really? And it kind of makes the secret identity thing useless, because nobody reacts to it. Yeah. If nobody cares, what was the lie for? Yeah, we get Lana Lang going, Oh, it was you. You were Superman. All these years. Oh, what's in the bigger <laughs> box, Superman? I'm more interested in what's in the big box. I'd like your opening. Well, Paltrow's not showed up for a while, though. <laughs> he opens it up and it's Pete Ross's head. That would have been funny. It, yeah, in that not-so-funny kind of way. <laughs> it would have been a much smaller box. And he just had Pete Ross's head in it. That would have been an Alan Moore story. Yes. <laughs> 
Okay, I mean, you can argue he kind of deserves what happens to him, can't you? Because he, <laughs> he doesn't do anything about it, he just kind of lets it happen, mm. you know. Um, Superman has his secrets exposed. It wasn't too long before this in the comics that Clark Kent was dating Lana right. just after Superman had split up with Lois. Right. I want to see that conversation. <laughs> I want to see Lana and Lois cornering him, going, So... <laughs> When Clark was dating Lana, were you dating Lois? Superman. <laughs> and Superman stood there squirming, going, um, well, uh... That's why he lied. <laughs> <laughs> That's why Clark Kent exists. Yes. So two identities, two, two ladies. Two, oh, could, you couldn't afford two women on a reporter's salary. Yeah. <laughs> Although Superman gets to take Lois everywhere for free, doesn't he? Exactly. Yeah. He don't pay, does he? Mm-hmm. As we've established, people... Just, so yeah. you really want to be seeing uh, Superman, not Clark. Yeah. That's very, that's very, very true. That said, I do love the panel where Superman ditches the Clark Kent suit in a bin with the newspaper headline, Clark Kent as opposed to Superman. Uh, that should have been a full-page splash. Yeah. And it should have been him walking away from the dustbin <laughs> with the suit in the bin. It, that should have been a total homage to Amazing Spider-Man 50. Yeah. Because that would have been genius mm. in the middle of this last Superman story. In fact, why has no one ever done that? Has no one ever done, like, a commission of that... I don't know. In that pose. Surely Superman throwing Clark Kent away should have a bit more of an impact than that. Oh, well, well, see, I I disagree in that term. One of the great things about this is how compressed it is. Oh, yeah. How much happens in two 22-page comics. Even so, (coughs) the dialogue between Lewis and what's-his-face. Yeah, and I I do like the line, if the nuisances are coming back as killers, what happens when the killers come back? Yeah. And see, that should be the big resolve moment. That should be the bit in Jaws, where the camera zooms in on Roy Schneider and the background zooms away. Yeah. That should be the moment where he goes, it doesn't matter what happens when they come back, I will stop them. And he doesn't. No. Never has that big moment. The Luther Brainiac stuff here is absolutely fantastic. Oh, yeah. This is horror. Body horror. Brilliant body horror. Absolutely fantastic to see. Brainiac's temples, just tentacles, sorry, it's working its way slowly. Yeah. Up Lex's out. And you can hear the tick, 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 tick. You can hear them. And the panic on Lex Luthor's face as it happens. And then he just impotently screams at, straight out of a Sam Raimi or a John Carpenter flick. Mm. Absolutely beautiful body horror moment. And fantastic artwork as well. Yeah. And when he puts the, the Brainiac head on... And Brainiac orders him to walk away, and he walks like a, a big stiff Frankenstein. Yeah. Which surely must have been on Moore's mind, mm. that he's made him into a Frankenstein's monster. I, I think the Luthor Brainiac stuff only gets better in the next issue. Yeah, the Luthor Brainiac stuff's brilliant. Yeah. I, I, I genuinely love all of that, because that is taking something to its logical conclusion. Mm. I mean, again, you wouldn't have got away, you could have got away with that in a regular story, but it would have had Lex divorce himself from Brainiac at some point, wouldn't it? You wouldn't have had the big part of the second one if it was just another Superman story. Yeah, because the big part of the second one is when Luther rests himself free and begs Lana to kill him. Yeah. Is a fantastic moment mm. in the story. Lex, Luther and Brainiac are the best bit of in this. Yeah. I thought. I thought they were absolutely fantastic in this story. I did wonder where all the Brainiacs came from. The Metallos, sorry, not the Brainiacs. Yeah, they just show up. Yeah, and it does say later on that all these were regular people and most of them were reconverted back to normal and went on to live happy lives. But when did Mitch Hispitalik do this? Yeah. Because he's the guy who... Spoilers. He's the guy who's <laughs> revealed at the end of it all. When did he do this? Why yeah. did he do this? 
That Why not is... just get the real Metallo? Where is the real Metallo? He's not in it, is he? He's not, no. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, so, you know, alright, fair enough. Still, after all the attacks, which are clearly establishing a pattern, yeah. we're clearly establishing the pattern that whatever is going on is going after Superman. Mm. And it's exposed his secret, and Bizarro's gone a little bit wackadoodle, and the Prankster's gone a bit wackadoodle, and Toy Man's gone a bit wackadoodle, and now all these Metallos attacking the Daily Planet. Mm. What does Superman do? Rescues Lewis. After he's rescued Lewis and prevented the Metallos from... He's all right, I'll give him that he stops the Metallos from attacking Metropolis. Right. What does he do about this? He doesn't... Yeah. He doesn't do anything, does he? He gets rid of the Metallos. He and stops then, this immediate threat and then after it has happened to him. Goes back to the Fox of Solitude and it's never, well, let's go find the real Metallo. Yeah. He never does anything that is proactive. He does jack all. As long as Perry White's safe, well, that's all that matters. As long as he can he can help Perry's failing marriage. Yeah, but see, I have a problem with that as well, though. Lois and Perry wouldn't run. Yeah, yeah. Would they? Perry White would want to be in on the action. He'd want to be reporting what is going on. Mm. And certainly, I'd be damned if Lois Lane had run and hide while all this is going on. Yeah. Pulitzer surprise winning journalist goes and hides in the Arctic. And then cries about Superman not loving Not that. a chance would Lois do that. Mm. Now, it's entirely possible that I'm transposing modern-day interpretations of Lois onto this. But by the 80s... She'd gone through the whole 70s lib movement. Yeah. I don't buy that a Lois Lane in the 1980s would just go, okay, Superman, we'll go to the fortress now, we'll bother doing anything. Well, yeah, the Lois Lane who once changed her ethnicity for the sake of a story yeah. now... Is now just cowardly running away to the fortress of solitude? Yeah. No, I don't... I didn't buy this at all. It does have a tone of, like, assault on pre solitude. Yeah. But it's... It works that way. I quite way. like that. <laughs> it works that way because it's changed the characters. Yeah, it's changed the characters to make his story work. Maybe if it was Assault on the Daily Planet and not the Fortress of Solitude. Or just Assault on Metropolis. Yeah. If they'd just done, like, Escape from New York instead of Assault on Precinct 13. Yeah. Metropolis was... The dome that Brainiac creates was over all of Metropolis. Mm. And Superman's got to defend Metropolis. And then there was a legit reason for the bad guys coming, though, because they were already there. Yeah. And Lois and Perry are like, if we're going down, we're going down fighting. Mm. And that's ultimately my, my problem with the story. Everybody runs. Nobody stands and fights. Yeah. This isn't uh, an apart ode from to terrorism. Apart from... Uh, well, Lois no, doesn't, I mean, apart from Lana and Perry, Yeah. Yeah. Lana and Jimmy are the only ones in this with any stones. Yeah. And they've, they've barely been in it yet, but, you know, all right. That said, the emotional beats of the story are very well handled. Crypto returning is a nice, ominous moment. Although God knows how old Crypto's supposed to be at this point. Yeah. And the Legion arriving is satisfying, especially Brainiac 5 giving Superman a statue that seems pointless. Mm. But like, it's just foreshadowing. I like the Superman getting angry over Supergirl. Yeah, that, it, that's why I've got that as well. It's right, the okay. Supergirl stuff mm. that works the best, isn't it? Yeah. Because Supergirl's death at this point was still very much an open wound. Is this... So this is just after the crisis? Yes, just after Crisis on Infinite Earths. So more having this naive, younger version of Supergirl interact with a Superman that can barely look her in the eye. Yeah. And he steers her away from the Supergirl monument that he's got in the fortress because he doesn't want to see in it. This yeah. was all beautiful. This was all lovely, the lovely stuff. line Supergirl's in the past. Yeah. 
that's got so much double meaning, doesn't it? Yeah. That beautiful line in a beautiful scene. So the emotional beats are really, really good. As is Crypto sitting by his master's side on the last page. Mm. And that's just really touching. But again, it's Superman sat in the dirt weeping, as opposed to Superman having a big hero shirt rip moment and the John Williams music comes up and he goes out and does something. Yeah, I, I, well, I got that Supergirl showing up again did this to him. Yeah, that works. But then, I'll give you that. surely after this, yeah. he should stand up and be We should Superman. have the shirt rip John Williams moment, yeah. shall we? Alright, I will give you that the end of this works because he's just been confronted with Supergirl. Mm. And the death of Supergirl is still, like I say, an open wound to him. So, alright, I will give you that. I'll give you that ending. It's the first part of a two-part story, so we'll reserve judgment. A lot of the problems may get addressed in part two. Spoilers, they don't. Uh, but whilst this is good, set up, and the art's gorgeous, there's just too many instances of Superman standing around doing bugger all. Yeah. He doesn't roll his sleeves up and get his hands dirty. Superman does nothing in this issue. The emotional beats are satisfying and touching, and the horror elements mm. are particularly good. But, you know... Superman don't do nothing. He doesn't. Which is a shame. Another turning point, a fork stuck in the road. Time grabs you by the rest, directs you where to go. So make the best of this test and don't ask why. It's not a question but a lesson learned in time. It's something unpredictable, but in the end is right. I hope you had the time of your life. So take the photographs and still frames in your mind. Hanging on a shelf in good health and good time. Tattoos and memories. On trial For what it's worth It was worth all the while It's something unpredictable But in the end it's right I hope you had the time of your life But in the end it's right I hope you had the time of your life It's something unpredictable But in the end it's right I hope you had the time of your life Uh, before we crack on, should we have another delve in the email sack? Okay. Charlie Niemeyer emailed in. Insert funny subject line here, Charlie Niemeyer. Alright, yeah. <laughs> That's not the funny subject line. That's your own email. <laughs> Sorry, Charlie. Uh, it is the end of an era. No, the end of an era. Depending on your point of view. Okay. 
I remember hearing your promo on a Two True Freaks show and thinking it would just be about UK comics. It wouldn't interest me, because I only read US comics. Well, that's very xenophobic of you, Charlie. It is. I think you, that's what you've got to say. Then you guys covered Nightfall. See, it's the Nightfall once again, <laughs> isn't it? I was hooked. Part of it was your coverage. Part of it was the fact that you have the same accent as the Ninth Doctor. Every planet has a north. And part of it is because of the father-son dynamic. Andy's reaction to Michael playing dumb in the early episodes was hilarious. I don't remember playing dumb. I know that you were playing. <laughs> And the night starts is just a bit further down the road from us. He's got yeah. a more harder Manchester accent because he's from Salford, isn't he? Ah, yeah. yeah. So he's more Manfred. He's a bit more Manchester, a bit more Larry, a bit more Arkid. He sounded a bit. Kind of got a bit of Scouse going on. No, Scouse is Accrington Stanley! <laughs> That's Scouse. Where's that? <laughs> exactly! <laughs> no, three people are going to get that. <laughs> Uh, once you moved to Two True Freaks, I listened to the back catalogue. What a fun show! Your consistency should also be applauded. I'm well aware of the difficulty of putting out a podcast, but to do so on a weekly basis without skipping weeks due to holidays or illness? Simply amazing. Hey Kids is one of the few shows that I listen to as soon as it becomes available rather than waiting until I get it on my podcast playlist. The fun you guys have is contagious and really brightens my day. But enough with the sappy stuff. I need to find someone to put a curse on the both of you. Do you realise how much you force me to broaden my comic book horizons? Thanks to you I've read such weird comics as Scott Pilgrim, Preacher, Hellblazer and Spider-Man. That is a weird one. I was just going to say, if he thinks they're weird and toss some really weird <laughs> stuff at him, uh, but Spider-Man's as weird as it gets. It's, I think that, that's the pinnacle of weirdness. That Ditko. Well, yes. <laughs> Ditko! <laughs> Plus, I've had to go reread several Superman and Batman-related books, but I read them all digitally instead of the printed version, so ha! But I digest. Michael, good luck, but I digest. <laughs> Did he mean that? Oh, is that a spelling mistake? Because if he meant that, that's funny. <laughs> Tell you what, Chella, we're just going to pretend you meant it, whether you did or not. If you did, very good. If you didn't, it was still funny. Much like a lot of this show. Accidentally yeah. funny. <laughs> Michael, good luck with your schoolwork. Andy, have fun in your delightful glittery palace. And thank you both for years of being sufficiently silly. <laughs> Cheers, Charlie, co-creator of Grace and another <laughs> baby Nemea. <laughs> I think that's the best thing we ever did. Co-creator. Call him the co-creator of Grace and Nemea. <laughs> Along with his partner, Angie, who is also a co-creator of Grace and Nemea. Yeah. And whatever the new one's called. I think Andrew is a pretty... Other, other pretty, baby Nemea. Other baby Nemea. I think Andrew's Which a pretty good name. Go? Andrew Nemea. Okay, yeah. Andrew Michael Nemea. Oh, pushing it a bit like Do you reckon? That. What about Michael Andrew? Are we really... And then his initials are man... <laughs> oh come on Charlie that, you, you've got to have that are we really starting to make people <laughs> name their babies after us totes <laughs> is this the legacy we really want this to leave this is the legacy we really want to leave Yeah, oh he's got a PS I keep meaning to ask and I almost forgot when you think something is bad you say it's pants is this a scale type deal would shorts mean it was just okay and speedo mean it's awesome if so we have very different opinions on speedos no we don't do speedos we don't looks, no. what's, what's the thing it looks like a budgie snuggling something something like that uh, forget that it wasn't funny one up from speedo is yeah, pants. is it really yeah. budgie smugglers is that what speedos are that's the one I was looking for <laughs> okay, budgie okay. smugglers uh, the pants just means it's not very good I don't know where it came from because uh, pants are actually quite comfy yeah yeah, yeah so, and we'd be a bit 
bollocks without them yeah well we'd be, we'd be letting it hang loose right. without the pants yeah which is you, you know it does not too bad I suppose but it's a bit painful when you're at the gym kind of need that support at the gym <laughs> you don't want your bollocks smacking against your thighs that is your thighs <laughs> why what are you smacking against it <laughs> <I should>. <laughs> <laughs> oh cats mate <laughs> Is that what it is? The little ball guy peeping out of your shirt. Pendulous, tripping over them. PPS, I just made you say PP on your shirt twice again, so gullible. <laughs> oh, God. Our buddy Mark Taylor emailed in to say it is the end, but the moment has been prepared for. Which is Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Tom Baker becomes Peter Davison. Right, okay. Which was a sad moment. Was it? Yeah, oh, yeah. Seven years he was the doctor. Hello, Andrew and Michael. I understand that today you guys will be recording the final regular episode of Hey Kids before Michael heads off on his university adventure. Although the clock is ticking, I wanted to add my voice to the chorus of emails you will no doubt have received already to say good luck to Markle. Markle? Who the hell's Markle? <laughs> Polo. Yes! Good luck to Michael. <laughs> 250 episodes, I got your name wrong. <laughs> At least I never spelt it wrong. At the start of this big chapter in his life. And also to say thank you both for the many, many hours of entertainment. For the innuendo, the giggling, the impressions, especially Sean Connery and Grant Morrison. Q and the impeccable music choices, the diversions and tangents, the diligent research and preparation, which despite your modesty is palpably evident in every show you do. Oh, we're not being modest. No, no, no. The big fat dent in my wallet listening to your shows can cause, and most importantly for finding two new friends in the vast unfriendly wilds of the internet your show has been as regular as clockwork a soundtrack to my Friday commute and yes I'm sure you'll be back at Christmas or Halloween or whenever and I know you won't be stopping podcasting there'll still be Palace and a multitude of other appearances but let's not let this moment pass without acknowledging how much your funny little show has meant to so many people and how much regular Hey Kids will be missed I said it. I promised myself I wasn't going to cry. All the very best to both of you. Feels different this time. Which is also Doctor. That was when Peter Davison became Colin Baker, wasn't it? Was it? May regenerate, may not. End of Caves of Androzana. Okay. All the best, Mark. Well, thank you very much, Mark. But, uh, I loved meeting Mark. Yeah. When we were in London. And, you know, he still dies off the fact that he bought you a pint. Does he really? Yeah. He's never going to let you return that favour. Right. Because that means so you can... owe him. Right. So there you go. And he sent me Batman the Gauntlet. Okay. Which is great. So thank you very much. Uh, another one. We'll squeeze another one in before we leap into part two of our coverage of whatever happened to the man of tomorrow. Christopher Warden emailed in. Goodbye, Leyland family. We'll miss you. Now, I say family because really the podcast involved you all. I enjoyed listening to you guys every week. It was always a treat when Angela, Adam and Anya would pop in every now and then. Thank you for the many wonderful hours of entertainment. I think I'm going back to the beginning to listen to them all again. I encourage everybody to do that, mm-hmm. I think. I'm looking forward to your coverage of whatever happened to the man of tomorrow. I remember enjoying the art quite a bit when I first read it and still do to this day. Well, the story part, mm, that depends on the day and how much I like it. But I remember liking it when it came out. A fan to the end, Chris. Well, thank you very much to Chris, Mark and Charlie for dropping by the email site. We've still got a couple more that managed to make it in before uh, before recording time. But uh, how about, just for crack... <laughs> mad crack. Just for mad crack, just one last time, should we look at a comic? Okie doke. Is this the last comic I'm going to read? No more after this. No, 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 no. Because you know, I I want to read comics just generally for fun. As a rule, I'm having a break. You want to read Batman before me? Everyone, I do. I want to read Batman. I've not read this one yet. Me neither. 
So uh, oh, um, you'll have to read it tomorrow. And obviously, if you come home for October after, you know I did think yeah. V for Vendetta. And okay. release it at Halloween. You're going to make me come home every single time I'm, I'm off uni? Every time you've got a holiday, right, you can okay. come home and, and we can well, if you it. pop home and stuff and we've got a Ricardo and a car, mate, we can always do something, can't we? See, you're saying this, we don't have to. It's only if you have come home and you've got a book. <laughs> what, Read this! Yeah. We record in an hour! <laughs> One per holiday. <laughs> I'm a long Halloween and people are chomping at the bit for us to cover Captain America White. That's not even out yet. I know, you know, got to have something to look for. I think we should get exclusive rights, actually. Like, I think Marvel. I think Marvel should send us comp copies of that. Yeah. For all the good we did the previous Colors trilogy. Mm? And now they've buggered that up. It's not a Colors trilogy anymore, is it? That's true. I, I will say, yeah, we are legitimate reviewers. I th- if- do you think? I don't know that we're literary reviewers. It gets us comp copies. If it gets us a comp copy of Captain America White, oi, Quizada! <laughs> Make it happen. You're not watching films anymore now your committee's been disbanded. Send us some comics. Anyway, yeah, another comic? Yeah, okay. Well, just for old time's sake. What'd you say? Whatever happened to The Man of Tomorrow Part 2? Alan Moore, Kurt Swan, Kurt Schaffenberger, and all the other people. That's the only difference is Kurt Schaffenberger, isn't it? Mm. Really? He was given the Schaffenberger. That doesn't sound right, does it? It, it d- d- doesn't. Oh, you know. Anyway. Part two. Lois's husband, Jordan Elliott, arrives home from work and introduces himself. He's largely dismissive of Superman, but pleasant enough. Lois continues her story. At the fortress, Superman destroys the key that allows entrance to the solitudinal place and prepares for his last stand, despite still being largely unaware what the hell is going on. Outside, Brainiac's headship arrives with the controlled Luther and the kryptonite man inside. They are joined by the legion of supervillains, Saturn Woman, Lightning Lord, and Cosmic King, who are here to witness the last days of Superman. Brainiac thinks keeping these losers around is a waste of time, but they inform him that being from the future, they may be of some use. For instance, what will Brainiac do when all Superman's chums arrive? Brainiac ponders this and erects a big old force field. Inside the dome, Brainiac attacks with tanks and stuff, as in the headship, but Superman is forced back by a vastly overpowered kryptonite man. The Justice League arrive and bash impotently on the outside of the dome. Inside, Superman, still carrying around the present the Legion gave him, has a heart-to-heart with Perry. Unbeknownst to Superman, his friends, Lana and Jimmy, have decided all this hanging around ain't for them, and have found the magic lake in the fortress, and the potions Jimmy used to ingest for his own adventures. Jimmy becomes a lasty lad one last time, and Lana becomes, well, whatever the hell it is Lana becomes. Whatever it is, she has superpowers and, crucially, super hearing. And she hears Superman tell Perry that he loves Lois, but he could never tell Lana, as he just couldn't bring himself to hurt her. Lana, fueled with resolve, attacks Brainiac and Co. with Jimmy bringing up the rear. Lana bitch slaps Kryptonite Man and Jimmy focuses on destroying the dome. Luther manages to regain a semblance of control and begs Lana to kill him. Lana snaps Luther's neck. Annoyed that the future may never come to be, Cosmic King transmutes Lana's abilities and then Lightning Lord fries her to dust. Jimmy swoops in to save the day, bit late for that, and is shot in the back by Brainiac. Luther may be dead, but Brainiac can still control the body. The Legion and Brainiac wonder how the Doom is still standing when Jimmy destroyed it. They ignore this and launch the final assault. 
Nuclear missiles rock the fortress, destroying rooms and trophies for long-forgotten civilizations. Perry saves Alice from death, and they decide that they have wasted too much time and decided to head to the bedroom. Meanwhile, the kryptonite man breaches the fortress and screams for Superman. He storms the castle, taunting the Man of Steel. He surprised the fall to be attacked by Crypto, who endures intense kryptonite pain for the glory of his master. He pushes forward, ignoring the screams of the kryptonite man, and Crypto tears his throat out. The kryptonite man falls, his blood spilling all over the fortress floor. Crypto lets out one last howl to his beloved master and dies. Oh. Superman, still clinging to the model Brainiac 5 gave him, rescues Lois amidst the ruins of the fortress. What the hell he's been doing for the rest of the time is unknown. The evil Legion arrive and tease Superman about the death of Lana. Superman finally snaps and fries Lightning Lord's arm. Terrified that Superman seems ready to kill, they realise they may have gone too far and flee like the cowards they are. Superman and Lois head outside to confront Brainiac, who cannot control Lex any longer. The body stumbles and falls. Brainiac tries to continue his attack, the helmet scurrying off Lex's body, but, divorced of a life force, it simply stumbles impotently and collapses. Superman, however, doesn't believe this is over. There's too many loose ends, and he starts to think. After five minutes, he realises that there's one name missing from the roll call of adversaries, Mr. Mixius Pitlick. Mixie appears in a puff of smoke, looking like he's been listening to the best of Bullet for My Valentine. He's wearing black, he's rocking the guy liner, and his hair is stringy and lank. Being immortal has finally caused Mixie to crack up, and he's decided to be evil for a few millennia instead of simply mischievous. He gives Superman a look at his true form. Not a funny little man in a purple derby hat, but a strange energy being of purple and black with really bad hair. Mixie pursues Superman and Lois into the fortress and asks why is Superman struggling? He dies today. The whole 30th century knows it. Superman gives in. No, really, he gives up. He throws his arms up and says, he's right, Lois, I can't beat him. Run, I'll hold him off for as long as I can. Why he thinks Lois can run in the middle of the Arctic is not explained, but because at least Lois is using her brain, she points out the useless doll that the Legion gave him, and tells Superman, maybe this isn't a useless doll, maybe it's a giant clue. Superman still doesn't wake up from the stupor he's been in throughout the story, and so Lois has to explain it to him. Look at what he's holding, you Kryptonian moron! Superman finally gets it and flies to the chamber room past the Phantom Zone criminals and picks up the Phantom Zone projector. He flicks the switch and Mixie panics. He tries to return to the fifth dimension, but the Phantom Zone projector hits as he beams away, tearing his atoms apart and scattering Mr. Mixie's pitleg to the winds. Superman is destroyed. He knew Mixie would panic like that, and he did what he did anyway. He broke his oath and murdered him in cold blood. Nobody has the right to kill, not even a Superman. Slowly, methodically, he walks into the gold kryptonite chamber, smiles one last time at Lois, and disappears, never to be seen again. The JLA rescued Lois, and that leads us to today. As Tim concludes his interview, he asks Lois if she believes he's still alive, out there, somewhere. Lois responds that Superman died in the Arctic. She was there. She's never seen Superman again. 
Jordan comes in with Jonathan and Tim leaves. Lois tells Jordan he's on a promise later if the baby is quiet. Meanwhile, the baby is in the background crushing a piece of coal into diamond. As Lois strides seductively into the boudoir, Jordan closes the door, winking at the reader as he does so. Wow, the last Superman star. Is that right? Uh, in the middle of the interview, Lois's husband, Jordan Elliot, arrives. Have I spelt that out enough for people? <laughs> Alright, I didn't get it. <laughs> I didn't get the Watchmen stuff. I wouldn't feel bad about it. Uh, the baby is called Jonathan. Well, that, I got that. That was nice, though. It was. That was quite a nice touch. I didn't mind that at all. Um, art-wise, I actually found this second chapter, which is inked by Kurt Schaffenberger, to be rather stiff and bland. Mm. I, I didn't like Schaffenberger's art in the old Adventures of Superboy comics, and he may be the reason I never glommed onto Superboy as a concept generally. Maybe if there'd been better art, I'd have liked it. Compared to the Perez ink job in part one, part two really does look like an old 60s Superman comic. And I, I think Schaffenberger overpowers Swan's pencils much more than Perez does and makes it appear more older and dated than it really is. A nice touch may have been to have Murphy Anderson ink there. Hmm. Oh, John Byrne! Yeah. Bringing, bringing John Byrne into ink this issue may have been a nice touch. Even Perez on part one and Byrne on two. Even with the same creative teams, maybe just flipping them would have been better. How do you mean? Well, that way you have Perez for the finale. Oh, it's right, I, I, I get what you it mean. It was Perez, now it's stiff. It's a, it was stiff, but now it's Perez. Yeah, that's true, actually. That would have worked That would have worked as well, yeah. What did you say? Honestly, I didn't notice. Really? Yeah, I was a bit en- engrossed with it. I just read it in one sitting. Right, I, I, it didn't take me out of the story. Right, looking so. at it now, I'm, uh, yeah, that's very definitely not Perez. Hmm. But you didn't notice enough while you were reading the story? No. Alright, fair enough. That's fine. That's okay. Uh, in the discussion for part one, we did note that Superman did bugger all. Moping and making sure his buddies were okay. Here we see him destroy the giant key that opens the fortress, implying, as in Superman 2, that he's luring the villains here for a final confrontation. The difference here, how does Superman know they're going to come here? Yeah. If you think about it logically, he doesn't even know at this point who the bad guys are. He doesn't if know, they know where the fortress is. Or if they know where the fortress Well, I suppose you can argue it's logical for him to think they know where the fortress is. They knew he was Clark Kent. Yeah. They've attacked all the other places that he hangs out regularly. It's a safe bet that whoever is behind this knows where the fortress is. Hmm. So you can argue that he's brought them here to lure them here. But if that's the case, why bring his friends here? Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> Unless the whole point was to bring his friends here as bait... In the hope that they'll leave the rest of Metropolis alone. In which case, that's a very ruthless tactic, Superman, and I approve. (laughs) I didn't... He he melts down with the Fortress Key to stop the bad guys from getting in, which also stops everyone from getting out, apart from the secret back door that we find out at the end. Yeah, there's a secret back door later on. Yeah. (laughs) Is there a back way out of this place? Yeah, it's out the back. Yeah. (laughs) Well, if, if Brainiac goes, well, if, if the big door is under guard and has a melted key, let's just go around the back. <laughs> Brainiac would work that out. There's a fire exit on the back door. <laughs> Labelled and everything. Yeah. The, health and, the health and safety inspectors came to the fortress and they were like, all these trophies, I'm sorry, the two, but they could topple at any minute. Where's your emergency exit? Crypto wants to piss, how does he get out? There aren't any signs telling you where the exits are. <laughs> They're not properly lit up at all times. Especially when he's in the Arctic as well, and he's got all these hotel rooms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
are all furnished. I can see the health and safety guys as well going fire extinguishers, emergency exits out of every one of these rooms. Superman, yeah. you are in so much violation here. So that's where the bad door came from. All right, yeah, because Superman still doesn't know what's going on. No, he doesn't. He doesn't know who the bad guys are and at all. We have the scene with Perry, which it kind of reminded me of True Detective a bit. Why? And Superman's like, oh, two women who love me. And and is it can, can a man be in love with, with two women? And, and Perry's there with his cigar. Little Marty, I'm not <laughs> No, no. Perry's there with his cigar, not saying anything. <laughs> Superman talks at Perry. Perry's sat there going, what the fuck? <laughs> Perry, Perry's sat there going, I just want a nice, quiet, relax with my cigar and my paper. What, 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 what's, this, what, what's this male bonding crap that you're pinning on us? Excuse me, Mr. Superman, can I please go back to my job? <laughs> we don't sit around talking about our problems. We're men! The morning edition comes out in a couple of hours, Superman. I need to be there to, to go ahead. I mean, I don't even know if there's a metropolis to go back to, because you've got me holed up in the middle of the ice palace from Die Another Day, but whatever. I might have to take your article out just until this all dies down. <laughs> Yeah, none of them confront him about the Clark Kent thing. Yeah. They've all just accepted that, haven't they? None of them have was had there all along. Yeah, none of them have had a... Right a minute, so you were pulling our leg that entire time. <laughs> Perry's not pissed off in any way. So you missed work all this time? Perry's not pissed off in any way that he, all those exclusive stories he got about Superman, he was yeah. ranting about himself. <laughs> that, yeah. <laughs> Perry don't care. I mean, granted, he's having marital problems, so whatever. We do finally get an action scene. Brainiac wheels out a bunch of um, tanks that apparently are in the Brainiac headship. Yeah. What? Uh, bigger, than yeah the <laughs> bigger than the Brainiac. <laughs> but all right, maybe it's Tesseract technology. Okay, yeah. Brainiac's got a TARDIS. So we can accept that. So we finally get a big old action scene that lasts one panel. I love it. It's just all these guys are so small, just banging on it. Let me in! Well, that's the dome. The best thing about the dome thing, I mean, this is unintentionally hilarious. All Superman's friends are outside the dome and. <laughs> just hitting yeah, it. Yeah, the Superman, Captain Marvel, and one Batman's Norman. like, I will punch through this. <laughs> Batman and Robin just hitting it with a stick. <laughs> Wonder Woman with all the powers of Amazon and Captain Marvel with the strength of whoever he had the strength of. Was it Solomon? It was a wisdom of yeah, Solomon, yeah. wasn't it? And Superwoman's there and Vartox is there in his nifty little Sean Connery outfit. Right. But Batman and Robin is there with a cricket bat. The best ball bat. It's like that, that show by the guy in Monty Python he hits his car with a, a stick. Yeah, Faulty Tower. Yeah, yeah. He's just bashing the... So Batman and Robin are John Cleese and Manuel. <laughs> yeah. He's from Barcelona. <laughs> stitches what can we do old chum well let's hit it with a stick of course <laughs> dome repellent Batman doesn't have any dome repellents in his utility belt <laughs> um, I did also want to know what, what does what does how does Lois know all this was going on yeah. How does Lois know all of this? Which is the problem that you have when you tell a story like this. Lois wasn't privy to any of this information. Now, it's logical for her to assume that Lana and Jimmy did this for them to get their powers. But as Superman... But when, when, so when did Superman tell her all this? Yeah. As he told her about this later on when he's Jordan Elliot and he's going, Ah, oh, well, I think this is how it all happened. You think? 
It could so be. So Lois knows the full story because they know at some point somebody will ask her what went on. Mm. Alright, fair enough. I can go with that. I, I like how uh, Lana and Jimmy just eat, drinking these chemicals and bathing in something that even on the label says we don't know what it is. Yeah, possibly unidentified radiation source. To get in may be dangerous. But I love how it's set up like a bath. <laughs> it's a bathtub <laughs> in the floor full of dangerous, poisonous chemicals. It's a spa. Yeah. <laughs> So in the Fortress of Solitude, with all those bedrooms that you can sleep in, in the ice forest, there's a spa, but it can give you superpowers. It might kill you. <laughs> I wonder how much he charges to have people stay here. Kryptonian roulette. Will the spa treatment calm you down or kill you painfully? Oh, God, yeah. Uh, this is the bit we were talking about earlier on. It comes to something in the last Superman story when the most proactive and heroic characters are Lana Lang and Jimmy Olsen. And Alan Moore, all credit in the world to him, does get the reputation of being this brilliant writer. And he is. Whether you like his stuff or not, he's an exceptionally good writer. Could he have hammered home the point, though, that that doll that Brainiac 5 gave him was important any more than he does. It's He's like Superman's a child. Yeah. He's just holding on to his teddy bear. Carries it round with him everywhere he goes. And when he's not carrying it round with him, Lois is carrying it round yeah. with him. And it's like, important. <laughs> There's a big neon sign above it saying this is foreshadowing. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I suppose it, it worked, I suppose, didn't it? There are some elements of this story that just don't hold up to scrutiny. But... He does nail the emotional moments. Alan Moore does nail the emotional moments. Lana takes a dip in the magic water light, which means she now has super hearing. So she hears Superman tell Perry when they're having the little man-to-man chat. And by man-to-man chat, I mean Superman sits there whining and talking and Perry's just sat there going, just want to enjoy my cigar. (laughs) So he says that he loves Lois and he can never tell Lana. And she hears that. And this is the Superman shirt rip John Williams moment. Yeah. Lana hears that, and it's a really wonderfully redeeming moment for a character who was basically one note. And it's traditionally short shrift, is what she gets. And all she was in the Superboy comics was a mini Lois Lane. All she ever wanted to do was expose Clark as Superboy. Yeah. Without ever actually thinking the damage that that could do. Mm. And she wasn't that interesting of a character. But she, of all people, gets the dun 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 moment. Yeah. Superman doesn't get that moment. No, he doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then she kills kills Lex. Yeah, well, this bit's brilliant. The action, again, the action scene that we finally get, that we've been waiting for, the Brainiac headship and the Kryptonite Man and the Legion of Cowards from the 30th century, big old... That's what they are, isn't it? We thought you were such a great big legend from where we... We thought you were a pansy from where we came from. But if they're in there from the future, don't they know? Don't they know how this all turned out? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Especially since if they're from the future, which is after when Lois tells the reporter this... That's true. It was printed in the newspapers. Yes. That's a very good point. <laughs> oh, paradox. Yeah. Anyway, the, we, do get, we do finally get the great action beat. And, you know, a super-powered character bitch-slaps Kryptonite Man, which is hysterical. Yeah. Because it's Lana, not Superman. And I love this bit with Lana. Lex begs her mm. to kill him. And so she, with no hesitation, snaps his neck. Yeah. Wow. It's like a like a Vulcan death punch. Yeah, Vulcan death grip to the neck. Just completely snaps his neck. 
So she, she essentially does know what Superman couldn't do until the Man of Steel movie. Yeah. And just snaps him. And unfortunately trans... What's his name? Is, is he Lightning Lord? No, he's not Lightning Lord. He's, he's Cosmic King, isn't he? Is the Cosmic spelled with a K? Uh, no, it isn't actually, isn't it? Because oh. the Legion of 30th Century superhero coward things, the text spelling never happened to them. Right. Evidently. That's such a missed opportunity. It is. It should have been Cosmic King. So he's able to transmute her back to normal... So the dip in the water meant nothing. Yeah. And he just turns back to normal. And then Lightning Lord fr- fries it literally to a pile of dust. So Lana Lang literally died for Superman's love. Yeah, pretty much. So she is the one who gives the heroic sacrifice. Yeah. Lana is this character who goes through the heroic journey Yeah. in this story. Not Superman. And then Jimmy gets shot in the back. Yeah. So that was an ignominious end. Although <laughs> the the bit where Brainiac just stands back up and lets his heads off at an angle because yeah. Lana snapped it. Zombie lethal. The, yeah, the horror bits are still pretty damn good, aren't they? Mm. The odd, they're, they're really good. Jimmy and Lana's death are just casually thrown away, though, and the, yeah. the, they're not very affecting, are they? Mm. They're not yeah. as they're not as good as the body horror bits with Ka- with Brainiac and Luther. No, they're not. And then on the page after this, mm-hmm. we have Perry and his wife yeah. deciding to go and... Yeah, why all these fights of the deaths going on? Perry and Alice decide to get jiggy with it. Yeah. And, and, and at first I had the same reaction that I had. I was quite surprised by it. But one, I can think of worse things to be doing when you die. It's not like they can actually go out and fight. That's true. And B, it's actually quite a nice human moment amongst all, all the carnage. I guess. My, have, go on, sorry. To have the death and then just a little bit of a, a sweet comedy beat. Yeah. Until you ultimately realise the Justice League only went for Lois. Well, they, they went to help, but they end up being no bloody use. Perry's still the... Yeah, well, yeah, Perry's still there, yeah. You're absolutely you right. Yeah, they don't that. mention Perry right after this, do they? So did he die on the job? <laughs> Unless, like... Oh, no, 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 there is a line of dialogue later on, isn't there, oh, where is they it? ask about Perry, and Superman goes, he's fine. <laughs> like, he's kind of just checked with an X-ray vision and gone, I didn't want to see that! Yeah. Bit of reverse cowboy going on. <laughs> but yeah, you're right, Perry, so, Perry and Alice don't get rescued. Unless they come out after the done, it's like, why is it so quiet? Yeah, what the hell, where is everyone? come out and the, the <laughs> Justice League <laughs> Quinjet is flying away. They come out and the fortress has just been wrecked. Yeah. Nothing's there, they freeze to death in the middle of the Arctic. Yeah. Oh, Perry and Alice just stay in the fortress for the rest of their lives. That, it's all decks out for them, they've yeah. got a spa. They've, they've got a spa. You would go and take a dip in that spa, wouldn't you? You would, yeah. So that's still us. Alright, fair enough. And then you get the, holy shit. Crypto just ripped out the kryptonite man's neck. Mm. What was all that about? And this was affecting. Yeah. This, the crypto stuff was really quite affecting, that he does all this for his master. And his, his little, oh, mm. as he dies, this was, oh. I mean, you got the stereotypical thing where it's sad because it's a dog, but it's crypto. Yeah, it's not just our dog, it's crypto. Uh, you know, the be what? If you had the heart comet and, and yeah well where was, where was Streaky the super cat while well, this was going yeah, on you know Beppo the super monkey should have yeah. shown up and thrown super feces at the bad guys <laughs> super sh- <laughs> smacking him in the face <laughs> I wonder if the legion of super cowards would have had that in their script ah well it says here that Beppo the super monkey throws shit at us you know what let's not go back in time <laughs> yeah, look, let's spur ourselves that indignity <laughs> 
Uh, speaking of the Legion of Super Cowards, uh, this bit was genuinely cool. Oh, a cameo by uh, Flamebird and Nightwing. Yeah, that was neat. And <clears throat> all these dolls and toys. Are, oh, poor Laura Lamaris has been decapitated. Which is quite <laughs> sad. And, uh, that's, that's quite sad. Um, Lightning Lord's really funny here. Where they go in and they boast that, ah, oh, we just killed your woman, we killed Lana. And then he panics and screams like a baby when Superman fries his arm with his heat vision. Mm. And there's that brilliant line, this is dangerous, <laughs> not really. And, um, oh, well, we know Brainiac wins, there's no need for us to get hurt. And then they just bugger off. But I did like, finally, Superman seems to have got a bit annoyed. Yeah. And he's willing to kill because they've killed Lana. In front of her. Uh... In front of Lois. Mrs. In front of L, future Mrs. Yeah. L, yeah. And then he just goes back to ineffectual. Yeah. Within minutes, he's lost his anger. That was it. Like, oh, he just had this build-up of rage, and then once all the rage was gone, he became... Boring again. Yeah. Pretty much. Uh, sadly, yeah, that little burst of action's all we get. The Legion of Super Cowards flee. Brainiac dies after rigor mortis sets into Lexi's body. And then Superman has to stand for five minutes and think this out. Hmm? Five minutes it takes him to come up with Mixius Pitalek. I thought the pre-crisis version of Superman had a super brain. That, yeah. Even that, or Mr. Mixius Pitalek's just easy to forget. <laughs> Can you not imagine as well Lewis stood there for five minutes just going... It's a bit chilly out here. And I need to Is go... Is it maybe that's why Mr. Mixus Picklick decided to kill him? He's a bit annoyed <laughs> that he didn't remember I him. mean, they do say to be fair, in the dome there's no cold. Yeah, okay. so, so, so why is so she wearing a, but, a big thick coat? But she's, she's still... Well, that's true. She's still going to be stood there going... Didn't she? Yeah. Five minutes it took him to figure this just, out. Just having a crafty fag on the side. Just, no. no. <laughs> yeah, she's just sort of smoking. Checking Facebook on her phone. <laughs> and he turns round and he says, uh, well, you know smoking's bad for you, right, Miss Lane? <laughs> yeah, lung cancer, right? Uh, not yet, thank goodness. <laughs> I like pink very much. Look, this is not the time to flirt! <laughs> uh, uh, the big bad stands revealed. And it's Mr. Mixie's little prick. <laughs> Are we still doing this? Mr. Mixie Zip Talk is the big bad of this entire. I know I'll give it him that that was that was um, left field. Yes, yes, that, that's the word. That's the word I was looking for. So, so my questions then: uh, Was this planned from the beginning? He made all the bad guys go mad, and he kept the four shield up after Jimmy took it out. Fine. But did Mixie Ziptolk, Mixie Spitalik, whatever, did he lead Luther to Brainiac? Or did Luther do all that of his own free will and that was just good fortune on Mixie Spitalik's part? Yeah. Or was he manipulating all of this? Was the Legion of Supervillains coming back in time part of his plan? Because without that, without them killing Lana, Lana could conceivably have overpowered. Brainy, Brainy Lex, yeah. Brainy Luther, Lexiac, whatever you want to call him. So, was how much of this was he manipulating, and how much of it was just dumb luck? Because Lana would have had no problem killing Mixius Pitalek. True, she was quite happy to snap Lex Luther's neck without a second thought. Yeah, it's just oh right, okay, Quah! twist. <laughs> like she was just popping the car <laughs> yeah. on a bottle of wine, snapped his head clean off. Kill me, that sounds like permission. <laughs> okay, <laughs> self-defense, whack. 
And she did see that I think this story would have been much better if Lana had then just turned around to Brainiac and pulled his head off. Yeah. And then turned around to the Legion of Super Cowards and ripped all their arms off. Whatever happened to the man of tomorrow, he got replaced by someone competent. <laughs> <laughs> Lana Lang, Superwoman. Yeah. That would have been a great ending to this story. Superman retires, goes and lives with Lois, and Lana takes over and it just becomes a totalitarian <laughs> regime. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear, let's not give Jeff Johns any ideas. Oh god, no. <laughs> but it's all okay, how much of it was planned? Yeah, that's a fair point, because they never actually say. No. It's a, I was behind all of this, but there's so many little things that he couldn't have allowed for. Like, he's yeah. not allowed for the Legion coming back and giving him that doll. Mm. Has he? So he doesn't know that that's happened, so he's not that smart. Yeah. So he can't be omnipotent because he doesn't know anything. So they kind of play him as being like Q. Yeah. In Star Trek. But he's he's not. He mm. makes too many mistakes for him to be Q. So, mm. I, I did think it was a bit left field. You know, your big bad in the last Superman story <laughs> isn't Lex or Brady but I, I liked I, I liked the backstory, the why he's doing it. Yeah, that he's he's immortal. Yeah, change. yeah. I, I don't have a problem with any of that, really. I, my problem with it is my problem with all stories where there is a master manipulator behind the scenes. There is so many things that have to happen the way he's planned it yeah. to happen for the story to happen the way it does. Sometimes the problem with master manipulators is the writers themselves. Yeah. Because you can't account for every single unpredictable thing a human being will do. When you obviously can't, because the one thing you predict is the one thing that... The one thing you don't predict is the one thing that kills you. Yeah, is the one thing that will take you down. Crypto taking out the Kryptonite, man. Was that plan, yeah? Yeah, he can't, have, he can't have known Crypto would sacrifice himself for Superman. Or he did. Possibly. I mean, it makes sense to sacrifice a pawn to... Kill off Crypto. Yeah, but at the same time, it does beg the question, that, all right, if Crypto hadn't done that and the Kryptonite man had killed Superman, what's left for Mixer's Pitlick here? Does he just show up and go, ah, Superman, it was me? Oh, s***. <laughs> I didn't say that through, did I? Does, <laughs> does he only show up here because Superman calls him out? Yeah. So, so he would have just stayed there watching. Yeah, all right, so that does beg the other question then. Did Mixer's Pitlick not even plan on telling Superman that this was him? I guess not. Well, what's the point of that, then? Well, unless he was just sat there watching for the five minutes going, Jesus Christ, should I just reveal myself <laughs> now? Yeah, or he was sat there watching with his feet up watching Countdown on TV, <laughs> going, I'm sure he'll figure it out at any minute. His head's in the fifth dimension while the rest of his body's in here. Yeah, he's over in the Marvel Universe being the impossible man. Yeah. And every now and then he'll just pop his head back and go, no, look at his watch, not figured it out yet. Let's go and annoy Ben Grimm a bit more. <laughs> I've been in the Marvel U for 50, de- for 50 years, like, is he going to solve it yet? Don't never text the thing this long to figure it out, <laughs> Superman. That's all I'm saying. Uh, which leads to the ending, where Mixius Pitlick just turns into this big whatever <clears throat> thing he is. And he kills Mr. Superman, kills Mr. Mixius Pitlick. After Lois has to point out to him, yeah. look at the statue! <laughs> but again, with his, his real form, hmm. I guess it makes sense that if you're the fifth dimension, it makes sense for you to have m- multiple forms and that. But for his real form to just be a bigger, taller, darker version of himself, he's exactly the same in his real form. He's just bigger and taller and darker and has claws. Yeah, he's, he listens to, to uh, My Chemical Romance a lot, apparently. Because if you actually go back and look at that guy liner. That, yeah. That's astonishing, isn't it? Those, those sleeveless... 
that sleeveless jacket he's wearing. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's he's got a, like a slayer or, or, or a rancid <laughs> patch on the, the back of his jacket. Yeah. <laughs> all the patches on his coat. <laughs> oh, I do like that idea. Um, so I've got to be honest, the way this story's been set up, I don't have a problem with Superman being judge, jury, and executioner. Yeah. Mick Shears Pittley. How many people died in Brainiac Rampages? Because they actually make a point of saying that, don't they? A yeah. lot of people have died. Lana's dead. Crypto. Crypto's Jimmy. dead. Jimmy's dead. And it's all Mick Shears Pittley's fault. And he actually says to him, I'm going to spend the next two millennia being evil. Mm. So there's untold amount of people in the future, though, that Mick Shears Pittley has just told Superman, I am going to kill. But also... You could argue that Superman doesn't kill Mitch's Pickler. No. He the, just knows that what he's doing will lead him to kill himself. Yeah. I mean, I, I doubt anyone's shedding tears over Brainiac, but you're right. Superman doesn't make him say Calypso-Zibs-Mixum yeah. to go back to the fifth dimension, though. Superman says, oh, I knew he'd do that. But if he hadn't done that, all he's done there is dispatched him to the Phantom Zone. Yeah. So that was on Mitch's Pickler, not Superman. Superman doesn't make him try and be a coward and run off. Yeah. Superman's just trying to exile him to the Phantom Zone. And so that's Mixius Pitalix's fault that he does that. Mm. And the flip side of that is it's not like he could turn Mixius Pitalix over to the authorities. Yeah. So his options are put him in the Phantom Zone or kill him. Mm. He tries to put him in the Phantom Zone. Mixie tries to escape. By doing that, Mixie kills himself. Yeah. This isn't Superman's fault. No. So even though I have no problem with him being judge, jury, and execution here, should he have chosen that path, he doesn't choose that path. Yeah. I don't, he does well, not actually kill him Even here. then, he even says, I was hoping he would say his name. Yeah. Or something along those lines. So he doesn't kill him, but he does something that he knows will kill him. So does that not still mean that he did kill him on purpose? He did what he did on purpose with the intention of killing... He did what he did on purpose with the intention of knowing that he would try to leap back to the fifth dimension. Yeah. Yes. But if Mixius Pitalik hadn't been so predictable and done that, all he would have done is confined him to the Phantom Zone. Could he not have gone back to the fifth dimension from within the Phantom Zone? I I don't know. Maybe he could. Outside. It's kind of just this limbo state. Maybe you couldn't get into the fifth dimension from there. Right. I mean, until a writer... The Phantom Zone isn't real. Yeah. If a writer says he can't transport back to the fifth dimension from within the Phantom Zone, then we don't know the answer to that question. Yeah. But if Mixius Pitalik hadn't tried to do that, it's a very real possibility that he wouldn't have tore himself apart. Hmm. So you can argue a case here that Superman didn't do this. Lana snapped Lex Luthor's neck. Yeah. Superman did not do the same to Mixius Pitalik. Mm. But even then, I think he's in, he's in one of those situations that were... Now, the writer puts him in this situation, but he's in one of those situations where, let's be honest, nobody's there to see this, apart from Lois. Yeah. Even Perry and Alice are, you know, off having afternoon delight, so they didn't <laughs> see anything. So, you know, ultimately the ending, I don't know that it actually works. Mm. What do you think? Um... I, I don't know. Superman goes into the, the the room as well. Into the gold kryptonite chamber. Yeah, to take to get rid of his superpowers. Mm. But there are two problems with that. He goes out through the back door, and when they go inside, they don't find anything there. And we know that his child has superpowers. So he didn't get rid of his powers, he's still Superman. Well, and it, with hindsight, we know that because this is the same character who will be 
uh, in Infinite Crisis. Mm. So, what he does here at the end of it, sacrificing his powers, doesn't mean anything. Well, see, it also does beg the question, is it how much are we not being told here? Oh, there you go, that's Perry and Alice. All right. It does beg the question of how much are we not being told here. Do the Justice League know that Superman, Clark, Jordan Elliott is still alive? Because mm. if the implication is Superman walked out into the Arctic and just disappeared, they presume he's presumed to be dead. Yeah. Right, but we know Jordan Elliott's not, so who got Jordan Elliott back from the Fortress of Solitude? Yeah. Do the JLA know that he's still there, and they came back from him, brought him back in secret, and like you said, Bruce Wayne concocted a fake identity for him. Mm. Or do the JLA believe him to be dead? Yeah. It's, there's, there's a lot of little loose ends like that, isn't there? Because presumably the JLA took Perry, Alice, and, and Lois back. Mm. But So how did Clark Jordan get back from the Arctic if the JLA don't know he's alive? I, see, I, I don't think he gets rid of his powers. He just flies back to Metropolis. You think? Well, he kind of got rid of them. Yeah, because you're yeah. right. Well, the, 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 the gold kryptonite supposedly removes the powers. Yeah. But he's still Kryptonian. His DNA is still Kryptonian. I, so, theoretically... So how does it work, though? Does it kill off the solar cells? I don't know, because ultimately gold kryptonite's not real. I guess. But if it did kill off his Kryptonian DNA, that would kill him. Yeah, well, we were always told that gold kryptonite permanently robs a Kryptonian of their superpowers. But like you said... If the superpowers are very much an intrinsic part of their DNA, yeah. does it therefore make them human? But they don't have superpowers, though. It depends which version of, of Krypton he came from, doesn't True, it? Yeah. In the very, very early days, he came from a race of supermen. Mm. And then that was changed later on, so that it's Earth's yellow sun that gave him his superpowers. But if the DNA is altered at a, at a what's it called? Not nuclear level. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, at a, at, a, at a base level, right. for want of a better term. If the DNA is altered at a base level and he is now human, then there is no way in hell he could have a superpowered child. Yeah. If, however, his DNA is still Kryptonian <clears throat> and he doesn't have, just doesn't have his superpowers anymore, how does that work? Hmm. Maybe I don't, the gold kryptonite kind of neutered him of those powers, but... But his DNA is still Kryptonian, so when he's had an offspring... Yeah. The child is still a part Kryptonian. That does make sense, but even Lois says that when they went into the room, mm. there wasn't anything in there. Okay. So was there ever any gold Kryptonite in there? The, well, the, as, as the question as well is, do they know they've got a superpowered son? I don't know. What it's... are they going to do tomorrow when they find that diamond in the coal scuttle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if the kid was a superpowered child, how did Lois give birth to him? Unless it's something that's grown onto like invincible he was born normal unless Superman's DNA is is without powers he's yeah. impregnated Lois and so the kid has only started to develop the powers once he's outside of the womb and being exposed to direct sunlight yeah well if it is from solar cells he wouldn't have it when he was born so that works he'd have to charge up yeah so alright fair enough we can we can buy all of that kind of ish um I mean, I'd have bought it a bit more if Superman just retired for a normal life after having killed Mixes Petalek. Yeah. And that made him step back and say, look, I'm not needed anymore. I don't think he needed to have that big sacrifice at the end if it ultimately meant nothing. Yeah, that's true. But also, he walks past the Phantom Zone and we see General Zod and 
Zernonanursa, which isn't the yeah. name in the comics, but I'm going to call them that. <laughs> um, so they're still around. So what happens the next time they escape from the Phantom Zone and Superman's not around to stop them? There is nothing in this story that says the Fortress of Solitude gets destroyed yeah. at the end of this story. It's a mess, yes. Mm. It's been very damaged, yes. But the lake with the superpowers is presumably still there. All yeah. of Jimmy's potions are still there. The Phantom Zone is still there. Mm. If they escape from the Phantom Zone, what happens? There's no Superman to stop them anymore. Yeah, that's that's true. So, ultimately, his big sacrifice here is all very noble and stuff, but it's stupid. Yeah. In the grand scheme and of things. Even with, like I said, with Infinite Crisis, there's just... That takes a lot away from it, just looking at it now. Hmm. Knowing that this Superman is just wearing makeup and is in disguise kind of takes it away from this story. Yeah, well, I've, I've got a couple of questions about that, but we'll come to that later on. Um, I want to know how how can Vartox be hugging Lana Lang, who we did have a relationship with, so that's a nice touch. How can he be hugging Lana Lang when we quite clearly saw the Lightning Lord, or whatever his name was, burned her to a crisp, didn't he? Yeah. So is that Lana Lang then, though? Yeah, he fries Lana, Lana Lang. At the end. Yeah, he's hugging Lana. But he burns Lana to a crisp, doesn't Isn't he? Isn't that Lana? Yeah. It's supposed to be Lana. She's the only woman who got killed. Oh, oh you, mean no, the, you mean the body? Yeah. Right. There's no one else Vartox can be hugging, if, and Vartox would hug Lana because they had a relationship. If how could he hug her when it was just the ashes? Yeah, but I mean, but is it ashes? Because it looks like he's burnt her to ashes at the bottom it, of the honestly, page. It looks like a bit of a fried chicken. Yeah, and then on the next page you just see a steaming body. Yeah. So at the very least, there's the implication though that he's Uncle Owen and Amberood them. Yeah. And he's just a steaming skeleton. But when Vartox is hugging her, she looks perfectly okay. Yeah. So that that's that's kind of um, a little bit of a continuity give. I think I probably would have bought the ending more if he'd been exposed to gold kryptonite doing something heroic. Mm. But ultimately Superman doesn't do anything in this entire story. I think I would have bought it more if we actually see him be exposed to the gold kryptonite and there's not a backdoor thing like a literal backdoor. Yeah. Because there is the ambiguous ending there that is... It's possible he does still have his superpowers. Mm. Like you say, he's gone through the gold kryptonite chamber and left, and he's still Superman. Hence yeah. the superpowered kid. So that's there's a lot of ambiguity to the end of it, so I suppose you can read it however you want to read it. But ultimately it's ambiguity that doesn't help the story. Yeah, it's ambiguity that when you start thinking about it, it's loose ends rather than ambiguous. Yeah. They're two completely different things. You can have an ambiguous story ending, an ambiguous ending to your story that means different things to different people, Mm. and then you can have a lot of loose ends that haven't been satisfactorily tied up. Yeah. But we gloss over it because A, it's Alan Moore, and B, it's the last Superman story. Yeah. That's my thinking on it, anyway. Was it not one of the things where Alan Morris told the story he wanted to tell and it doesn't matter? No. We have have criticised Alan Moore for being the type of writer who will just go into a series mess everything up and then jump out it's what he did with Batman and it's what he's doing here only here he can do it it's the last story yeah. next month it'll, it won't matter well see I think ultimately that's why my favourite Alan Moore Superman story is the jungle line yeah because it's just another Superman story he doesn't screw anything up he's got to tell his story and get the hell out um, I like For the Man Who Has Everything 
I think that's a fine story. But again, it's Alan Moore pissing all over the concept of Krypton as being this 50s science fiction gleam inspires thing. Yeah. It's in the Krypton in that story is being torn apart by race riots. Mm. And you're like, Alan, did you read the 50s <laughs> and 60s Superman stories? So ultimately, that's why I come down on the jungle line being my favourite. Mm. Because to me, this has just got too many loose endings. Endings can be not good, but still be satisfying. Yeah. Like, the, like, I've said this before, the last episode of Burn Notice, when you start thinking about it, you can pull up the threads of that and go, that makes no sense. Mm. But it's a satisfying ending. Yeah. And ultimately, I think that's what this is for a lot of people. It's a satisfying ending more than it's a good ending. Mm. And it's hugely influential, and it's highly rated, and ultimately you ask yourself the question, is it worth the attention? And the answer is yes and no. And there are a lot of problems with it as a story and as part of Superman lore, but that's not really the point of it, is it? This is the last Superman story. And as such, Alan Moore is allowed to do things he wouldn't normally get away with. And taken as the last Superman story, this is an affecting and emotional tribute to an era of Superman we will never see the like of again. This is gone forever. Yeah. I mean, you thought it was gone in 1987, but it's definitely gone now. There's no way the current regime will return to anything this fun. Mm. And when you consider the darkness of this Alamo story to be fun, yeah, that's saying something about where we are at the minute. And when you want to, when you see what they're currently producing, trying to be dark, and then you read this. Mm. But this is darkness with a touch of fun to it. Yeah. I mean, it's shot through with Moore's iconoclasm. Mm. That's, that, that drips from every page. But I'd be lying if I said I didn't enjoy reading it. Yeah. And you yourself have said that whilst you were reading it, you didn't even notice the artistic change. No, I really, I really did like it. I really enjoyed it. But you stop... I think you stop enjoying it when you stop reading it. Mm. Because... You know, do you really notice as much all the plot holes and all the inconsistencies no. when you're not... No. But they're all so blatant and obvious when you're not reading them. And even when I was reading them, I was thinking, yeah, I'm enjoying this, but I can tell that it's Alan Moore who's writing it, and he's mm. doing everything that I don't like Alan Moore for. But you forgive him this one time, don't you? Because despite the many, many problems that we have with it, yeah. and that we've brought up as we've gone through the show, now more than ever, this just feels like a look at a bygone era. At the time, it felt like farewell, but now it's very definitely goodbye. Mm. This feels more final now than it did even back in 1986-87. Yeah. Or I think it does. I do object to this constantly being held up as one of the best Superman stories of all time because it's it's far too atypical yeah. to be held up in that regard. But it reads better now than it does then, hmm. I think. And I freely admit my feeling that DC haven't known what the hell to do with Superman since at least the year 2000. I stand by that statement. Yeah, That probably plays into into some of this as well. But I'd be lying if I didn't say I didn't thoroughly enjoy it while I was reading it. Mm. And as usual when we do this, I read it, and then I read it and did the synopsis, and then I read it again to do the notes. And it's only when you're doing the notes that you start going, wait a minute. Yeah. 
when you're ripping it apart to talk about it. And there's probably things we've not even considered because it's an Alan Moore script. Mm. So there's probably an awful lot of little nods to the past that we've just completely glossed over. But that's your two things. Is it a good Superman farewell story or is it just a good final story? And ultimately I think it's a satisfying final Superman story. I think it's more of a... It's, I, I, I think it really is like a killing joke. It's Alan Moore just coming in and messing everything up and stepping out. But this time it doesn't seem like that because if Killing Joke was the last Batman story ever, mm. just like this is the last Superman story ever, it would still... If Killing Joke was an out-of-continuity one-off... If, no, if Killing Joke was to Batman what this was to Superman it would still have that the same kind of power this one had. Mm. So the only reason people for kind of let Alan Moore off for coming in and messing everything up is because this is the last one, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, you're right. No, nobody has to follow this. It wouldn't matter if uh, he crippled Barbara Gordon if that was the last one. Yeah, whereas everybody had to follow the killing joke. Yeah. So he, the damage that he'd done... Had to be incorporated into the cop into the, the storyline. Mm. Now there are a lot of people who think that Oracle is the best thing that ever happened to her mm. because she was a unique character then, she and it made just, her a lot stronger. And it made her a lot stronger. So arguably, he did something that benefited the character. But was he thinking that at the time? Probably not. No. Yeah. He was just going for the shot value of the Joker's just shot Barbara Gordon. Mm. Whereas you're right. With this, nobody had to follow this. He's killed off Lana, he's killed off Jimmy, he's killed off Lex Luthor, he's killed off Brainiac, he's killed yeah. off Mitzias Pitalik, he's killed off the Kryptonite Man. Everybody's gone. And killed off Superman, arguably. Yeah, so the, the, no one had to follow this, so everyone kind of gives it a pass. Mm. Uh, that's ultimately where I fall down, and I think it's a satisfying final story that has problems within the overall Superman lore. Yeah. That's it. Mm. I do have one final question. All right. So is Superman dying his hair brown and then dying his temples grey? That's a fair point. Because <laughs> he's, he's not got black hair anymore. He's not. So what, what, how is that working? <laughs> <laughs> There's nitpicking. <laughs> that, that just leaped out at me. So he's dying his hair brown and then letting the grey... How is, what? It's just not working. No. I just don't accept it at all. Uh, anyway, that's that's nearly it. Yeah. Should we have one last rummage in the email sack? Okie dokie. Uh, and this pulls out a, a message from Michael Bailey, host of Views from the Long Box, from Crisis to Crisis, Radio KAL Bailey's Batman podcast and Comics Monthly Monday, which he's, he's entitled Send Off. Hey there, Andy and Mike. Mike and Andy, the Leylands, any other way I have started these things in the past. Well, here we are. The end of the road. Whilst there will be specials and such down the road, the weekly version of Hey Kids Comics is coming to an end. A lot of people have written in and expressed their appreciation and admiration for your show, and I share their sentiments. You have done something truly special with this show, and I'm not just talking about your regular release schedule. The father and son dynamic was new to me when I discovered Hey Kids, and it allowed for some really interesting discussions, all that's been very entertaining and engaging. The show was good from the very first episode, and just kept getting better as time went on. I can honestly say that you became a part of my life. For several years, the newest Hey Kids was in my ears as I loaded up the car for Dragon Con, because we always leave on a Thursday. You know what we should do? Well, every year we should have a Dragon we Con We should have special. a Dragon Con episode just for Mike. Yeah. 
I have many memories of either working overnight or opening a store I currently work at or cashing out at night while listening to you both talk about Batman or Spider-Man or Superman or Garth Ennis or Grant Morrison. There's something almost fitting that the job is changing around me just as you are wrapping things up. You've also been there for the low times and helped me through some rough patches. More than anything, I appreciate the friendships that have come out of this show. Michael came on to Views from the Long Box to talk about Infinite Crisis. You both came on to discuss Preacher, leading to the infamous idea of TC and the Chicken. And Andy and I have done a bunch of shows together and have more planned in the future. I think this is my only consolation for the show ending. I know that I'll get to talk to Andy and hopefully Michael in the future, and that we'll always be friends. And he, he talks about international incidents there, but I, I don't think we'll have an international incident that would stop us being friends, do you? Of course not. Still, this is a time for sadness, but also a time for celebration. Never ever forget the lives you've touched and the impact you've had on people's lives. You might have been talking about funny books, but to us, it meant something. Not bad for a couple of northern chances. Until we speak again, Mikey Mike B. P.S. I apologise that this was not written at work or in my car. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's more more you that would be upset by that. Aren't yeah, yeah. So yeah, everyone who's written in, thank you very much. We do appreciate it. We do. We kind of downplay it a bit, don't we? Because mm. we're British. We we don't do sentiment. No. But uh, I was sentimental when I was young. Yeah. But it's it's very nice. That's it. Yeah. That's it. We're done. Over five years, we've produced. 250 episodes released every single one of them weekly and on time with but two exceptions a couple we released early true Michael has grown from being quite shy to being fairly formidable in his opinions proud of you kid even if we disagree you're the best around yes especially when we disagree no one's ever going to bring you down me I've not changed no With Michael leaving to begin the next chapter in his life as a university student, we felt this was as good a time as any to call it a day. I never wanted Michael to feel like he had to do this to keep me happy, and coordinating schedules over distances is going to be hard. Better to bow out whilst we enjoy it than keep going and it become a chore. If you'd have told me that, I'd have stopped so long ago. You know, anyway, how often do you get to end something on your own terms? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's my philosopher. We're moderately proud of what we achieved here, with the caveat that let's be honest, what we've done's not that important. We've sat on our ass and talked about comics for five years. Yeah, we've not really done anything. We've sat in our dining room, yeah, at a table in front of a chintzy digital recorder. And chatted about funny books. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm made up that people listen. I'm made up that they found something in it that made it entertaining to them. But I don't think at any point we feel yeah, I, like I, we've I, done anything special. I've, it's a bit overwhelming, really. <laughs> but ultimately, this was just me and you sitting and doing, talking about what we used to do before you went to school in the morning. Yeah. We sat down and, and recorded. We mm. just used to talk about comics before you buggered off to school. You want to talk about serious life changes, so that's what your mum's for. <laughs> I'm, I'm here to talk about comic books. If those of us that, that came along with us, thank you for listening. We've always said we don't have fans, we had friends. Mm. And that's been the best thing about this, the friends that we've made. As evinced by the emails we've received this week saying farewell. We appreciate the thoughts. If we've managed to bring even a little sunshine into somebody's life, that makes us mighty, doesn't it? We're proud of that. We can we can live with that. We're happier with that than anything else. Mm-hmm. It's not like we made any money. <laughs> 
A few thank yous are probably in order before we ride off into the sunset. Okay, no. First, we do need to thank Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell for recording their episode, Get Off Your Ass and Make a Podcast. Right. Well, we sat on our ass and made a podcast. We did, and it's a lot comfier for it's, it. It's a lot comfier. just standing for two hours. That, that would just be awful. Some people do stand up while they do it. They find yeah. it more comfortable to stand up and do it, yeah? I find it comfortable to stand up while I work, but not to... Uh, yeah, okay, fair enough. Without that show, I would never have gone to you and said, you know that talking about comics we do anyway? Do you want to record it? Hmm. And you wouldn't have said, yeah, all right. Which was the, the sum it, total it of your contribution. <laughs> It was weird when we started. It wasn't comfortable getting into it. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I, I can't go back and listen to it. I find no, it too awkward. Either. Definitely not. I can't. But I can't. It, go it was back. weird. How it used to be this thing where oh, it's Thursday. I got to sit down and record. I got to think about opinions and make. No, it was always this thing that I. I it wasn't natural, but now it's become. And now it's become just. This is what we do on Thursday prison. nights. I can't, I can't go back to society after this. <laughs> I have ruined you. My Thursdays are going to be so empty. What I'm going you? to descend into alcoholism. Uh, well, we would have had a lot more time, spare time over the past five years if we hadn't done this. Because <laughs> it's not, the recording's the easy bit, isn't it? I, I could have read so much stuff for yeah. enjoyment. Yeah, you could have read so much stuff just for fun. Yeah. Or you could have just read all of Grant Morrison's over, over and over again. Yeah. Which is probably what you would have gone I've, for. I've been introduced to a lot more stuff I never would have read because of this. So have I. Yeah. I'd have never played Metal Gear Solid. And you never have done. And I haven't done since. <laughs> uh, we do want to thank Scott and Chris individually. Chris was one of the first people to give us feedback. Right, okay. Which was greatly appreciated. And Scott offered us a home on Two True Freaks when Podomatic proved to be too limited. Right. We were one of the first outsourced shows on the feed. And yeah, that makes to, us mighty. We used to have to pay for it. Yeah, we used well, to have to pay for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was, and then Scott said, don't do that, come <laughs> and join us. I don't think we were the first. Right. I think Hope of All Trades was the first externally produced show. But we were certainly one of. Yeah. And now it's just this huge network of different shows. But Even that I find quite weird. Like, we're a part of something. Yeah, we're a part of something. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. I know you're a, a loner. We can't sell our man. <laughs> we're only selling out if we're actually getting money. Not only are we selling out, but we're the outsourced. Yes, <laughs> we're the outsourced podcast. <laughs> we're the underclass. Yeah. We're, we're, the, we're the ethnic minorities on the phone lines. <laughs> that's us. Yeah, that's us. Yeah. Everyone else has got funny accents. <laughs> we're the only ones that talk proper. That's true. <laughs> uh, go and check out any of those other shows. Why don't you? Just gone. They're, they're all good. I was going to say most of them are good. They're all <laughs> apart good. Apart from those select few. Apart from that select few, don't listen to that one. Uh, thank you to you, okay, my great co-host and son, who brought it every week. Except that one time that you didn't. That one time. But even that was funny. The top ten Spider-Man stories. Oh, where yeah. you, you'd been out drinking all night and you were hungover, if memory serves. Was that that time? <laughs> I think that was that time. You hadn't read any of them. And you just sat there going, yeah, that was a good one. No, I read some of them. Give me some credit. I, that's still your best performance. <laughs> Hungover. Oh, you are the preeminent teenage podcaster. Okay. Although, by the time this episode is released, you will not be the preeminent teenage podcaster because you won't be a teenager anymore. Is this really going up? This will that? go up after your birthday. Yeah. Oh, that's the weirdest. So you will have gone from being 15 to 20 during the lifespan of the show. 
Yeah. So it'll see you out throughout all of your teen years and all of high school and college and now university. It's a big chunk of your life so far, that. Yeah. Isn't it? So, so thank you very much. Some of the episodes you produced were some of the best we ever did. A lot of people said, why don't you just rope in Adam and Anya? And right. I'm like, I think you're kind of missing the point of the show. Yeah. You're not just comedy sidekick. You were 50% of the show. And some of the ones that you did were some of the best we ever did. Because you do actually challenge me to read Grant Morrison and go, alright, this isn't bad. Mm. Seven Soldiers especially was very, very good. Yeah. I actually really enjoyed that. So I don't think a lot of people give you the credit you deserve for what you brought every week. I'm not funny without you. Okay. Listen to Policy Glittering Delights for proof of that. (laughs) Uh, I also need to thank my lovely wife, Angela, a.k.a. the voice from the gods. Angela was always encouraging, rarely complained when editing took six hours out of a weekend, and did provide us with some of our funniest material. Yep. Both off her and on. Love you, baby. See, I think really complain is the funniest thing you've said. <laughs> it doesn't matter. She's not going to listen. Oh, yeah, She'll listen to this, Phil. We'll thank Adam and Anya as well for being here. Yeah. Adam's contribution was minimal. Anya showed up a few more times. Uh, we're not going to do any more individual thanks because we would be bound to miss somebody out and I don't want to exclude anyone. We've always tried to include everybody in this show comics newbie or veteran and we ain't gonna stop now comics should be for everybody they shouldn't be a niche market they are as valid an art form as movies books video games tv and they're often a damn sight better than any of those things mm-hmm. and i will not rest until the rest of the world realize how cool they are you know yeah i think we do have to thank someone else Oh, well we kind of have to thank you me yeah what have I done? We wouldn't have a show. Well, no. It was you who decided to do this. It was. It's your recorder that you stole from work. <laughs> it is. So your comics that we're reading. Primarily. It's, you know, your 50% of the show as well. That's true. You wrote and edited more shows than I did. That's true. And we do write them. Yes, we, we do. This is 13 pages of notes, this episode. Yeah, I come up and just... You pop. rock up. I just, yeah, I'm, I, I don't script anything, but you do. No, you, you don't. You write that's, all the scripts every single week, and you're always ahead of the game. Yeah, you can stop now. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah, all right, I'll have it. Since this last one. Uh, if you like the parent-sibling dynamic, check out Patrick Kukuran's Make Dad Read Comics, Emily and Alan Middleton's Relatively Geeky Network, and John and Lily Wilson's Avengers Inspirations. They're not us. <laughs> but then who is? Mm-hmm. I'm on Twitter and Facebook, as is Michael. I'm still around on Listen to the Prophets, Fantastic Cast, and my vanity project, The Palace of Glittering Delights. Yes. What about you? Well, if Michael Bailey ever gets back to my... <laughs> I might be featured on a Grant Morrison Batman podcast. On Abuse from the Long Box. It's been in podcast limbo since last year. Yeah, he's been a busy guy. He has. That's very true. Any last words? Shoot straight. (laughs) It's been fun, hasn't it? It's, yeah. It's it's been fun. And remember, Hey Kids Comics will return. Next time on our new episode. Bring me sunshine. In your smile Bring me laughter All the while In this world where we live There should be more happiness So much joy you can give To each brand new bright tomorrow Make me happy
Let your arms be as warm as the sun from up above. Bring me fun, bring me sunshine, bring me love. Hey Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Find Work for Idle Hands to Do production. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review and illustrative purposes only, and no infringement is intended, so don't send your phalanx of highly paid lawyers after us, as we have no money. Certainly this show was not turned into a lucrative revenue stream, as no money is made from this either, which vexes us. The opinions of Michael and Andrew expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and no one else. They own them, cherish them, and look after them, but are probably not to be taken too seriously. We do hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. And it is Let your arms be as warm As the sun from up above Bring me fun Bring me sunshine Bring me love Sweet love Bring me fun Bring me sunshine Yeah. We're done. We are.